Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Woo! Baby, we got action over here. Chris Ballard yesterday with either a smoke screen, a poker face, or the truth. It's one of the three. I'm Brian, though. He's Vince Welch here on The Fan. And before we get into Chris Ballard, let me just say that today is Guest Fest 2023. That's right. If uh, there's a voice of something in the general area, chances are that person's going to be on the show today. You know, voice of Purdue basketball, voice of the Pacers, voice of the Colts, like, probably going to be on the show today. So we'll be knee deep in guests. Looking forward to it. But the sound at the top of the show here, Vince, Chris Ballard saying, QB's got to be worthy for you to move up and get him. That is the, the first part of this here is, let's hear it again. To move up, you, there's got to be a guy worthy of it. Got to be a guy worthy of it. Woo. So let's start with that. Is there a guy, in your estimation, worthy of moving up from number four to number one in this draft? I would say no. I would agree. Uh, I would, uh, obviously, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen, they're going to evaluate these quarterbacks uh, every single snap of their college careers. They're going to look at every single throw they make at the combine or their pro day. I mean, they're going to evaluate them in the interviews, et cetera. But ultimately, so at even it probably at this point is too early for them to even say whether or not they've got a guy worthy to move up to number one. What I don't like about it is I don't think there's Peyton Manning or or Andrew Luck or, or Patrick Mahomes type of quarterback there already. So I don't like what you got to give up to get to number one. Because I think the Colts have too many holes, too many needs to ultimately give up what they're going to have to give up to get to number one and then maybe not get that superstar caliber quarterback that uh, that is worthy of it. Are you moving up just to move up? Right. Well, that's what it comes back to. And look, I was thinking about this before the show, Vince. It's funny how year in and year out, what we do is we talk ourselves into the quarterback order as if there's no changing. Like, this is the order. If you say something otherwise, it's just radical. Where if you have a quarterback other than Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud at one or two, it's like you're just hot take guy. You're just trying to stand out. But we've had so many NFL drafts where that's the thinking going in, and then it plays out differently. When they start throwing at, at the combine, Bryce Young's not going to throw at the combine. When they start throwing and then they start doing their pro days – you're going to there's going to be a movement there's going to be movement from somebody maybe it's Richardson moves up and all of a sudden people are, wow or Levis moves up and he looked better than Stout or he looked better than than Young what a, I mean there's going to be movement but what you've got to understand it and I thought Chris Ballard made an interesting point when he said he referenced you know kind of the media is going to kind of grill him about you know automatically assuming they're going to move up to number one well just like Ballard and his staff are evaluating whether to move up to number one the media covering those teams and the drafts and the combine etc they've got to ask that question I mean they've got to ask I mean we're doing our job too by asking do you move up yeah and so 
I, I think there was just a little cat and mouse going on there. Ballard and Steichen had their met with the media yesterday, and I thought both did a good job of not really saying anything. I disagree. I think they said a lot. I just don't believe it. <laughs> I, I, I think that a lot of it is positioning yourself the best way possible. The end of this, Jimmy, if you give me a little uh, little audio dap over here, listen to the end of this. You're not going to see his face, but he has like a sheepish grin on his face when he's talking about maybe we just stick it four and all is good. Listen to this real fast. When we meet as a staff and we say, okay, this is what we need to do. This is the guy for the next 10 to 15 years, and we think he's the right guy. Sure, we'll do it. But who's to say we won't get one at four? <laughs> the, way, the way he said that, he's like, if you just hear it, it makes sense. You, you might be okay at four. And again, I'll get back to the quarterback order in a second, but you might be better off at four. You don't give up a bushel of picks. You might end up, as radical as it sounds right now, you might end up with a better quarterback at four than you do trading up and getting a guy at one. It's possible. But the way he said it and the way he looked, my young nephew, Ty, when he was a little kid, he would come out late at night and he would act like he was sleepwalking when he just didn't want to go to sleep. And he had this one dimple and he would just have this look on his face. He would he would walk out, and then he'd have this smirk on his face as he looked down, trying to pretend like he was asleep. That's basically what we saw from Chris Ballard right there, where he's like, maybe we're okay at four. Like, obviously, he doesn't want to come out and sound desperate. He doesn't want to be like, oh, man, I mean... I mean, what else I'd be is he lying gonna... to you if I said I, I, the same values at yeah. four as it is at one. So it's... that's the way he's positioning everything. And, and he has to. I mean, it's good to hear from them, but of course... Of course, they they could stay at four. I mean, he's not going to come out and say, we're not staying at four or uh, we are going to stay at four. I mean, he can't say anything definitively because they don't know yet. But if they stay at four, there's a chance they could be drafting the fourth quarterback in the draft. It's possible. The Bears could trade out. You know, the Raiders, just look at the top 10. The Raiders and the Raiders at seven, the Panthers at nine. They both need quarterbacks also. So who's to say that if the Colts say we're going to stay stand pat at four, who's to say that the Raiders and the Panthers don't make a deal with the Bears and the Cardinals who are picking first and third, and they each take a quarterback, and the Colts who stick at four get the fourth quarterback? It's possible. It's possible. That's why I think there needs to be some movement Unless you say, you know what, we're happy with any of the four because we don't want to give up the lot that it's going to take to move up. Yeah, well, I'll make a NASCAR comparison with you. I don't know their evaluations of these quarterbacks, but it very well could be. They might have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud rated one and two. They might have the other grouping not that far behind with Levis and Richardson and beyond. So if you think about Daytona, we just had the Daytona 500. If the Colts think, hey, we've got Young and Stroud 1 and 2, and they're the first pack, but man, that second pack isn't far behind. And they can make up that ground pretty fast. We know that Levis and Richardson need a little bit more seasoning, more fine-tuning than the top two guys, especially Bryce Young. But they're not that far behind, and they could end up being better in the NFL. So when you do the math like that, and you think, maybe we are okay at four. 
I believe that reasoning. I don't know if he believes it because he's saying that because these guys are part talent evaluators and part poker players. So to know what they truly believe, good luck on that one. And and what I keep coming back to is what it costs to move up. And is is the price worth the talent? Maybe it is. Right. And and that's what they're going to be determining between now and the end of April come draft time in regards to whether or not they're going to make a trade, et cetera. But the price is going to be steep to move up a couple uh, of spots. Yeah, very and, steep. And the Colts have a lot of areas in which they have needs. Are you going to sacrifice what it's going to take to get there right. for the question mark, the hope the prayer of the investment that you're going to take with the quarterback. We talked about it yesterday. Let me these names: Trey Lance, mm-hmm. Sam Darnold, yeah, Mitch Trubisky, Jared Goff. Those are all quarterbacks that teams recently traded up into the top five or within the top five to go higher to get those guys. If the Colts do that from four and what it's going to take to get those guys, are you going to be happy? With Sam Darnold? No, absolutely Mitch not. No. <laughs> so you got to, hey, this is a legacy shaping move for Chris Ballard. Well, that's why I think it's so fascinating where the Colts are because this, Vince, is belief versus fear. The reasons behind why you would move up to number one. Okay, let's start with a quote from Chris Ballard. He was asked about what it would take to make an aggressive move, move up to number one to get a quarterback like, oh, I don't know, say Alabama's Bryce Young. If you're into that smallish frame type of thing, you know, you're into Smurf quarterbacks. Yeah, that's your that's your bag over there. Then Ballard said, what would it take? That we were just convinced that this is no freaking doubt the guy. Okay. So that's the belief aspect. Reason one to move up to number one is because you believe this is the freaking guy over here. The other reason, and you've alluded to this, is fear. Are you fearful that if you stick at four, you're potentially getting the fourth quarterback? Maybe the third quarterback if you luck out. That fear of, oh man, I don't want to get the third or fourth prospect. Maybe that's the driving force behind going up to one. So he said it. He said it's the belief. But could it be the fear? And that's why you move up. That's what I find fascinating. And he made the comment Ballard did. Each of these quarterbacks need development. So they obviously, and and they've looked at these. I mean, they, they've... They've studied these guys, obviously, but between now and the draft, I mean, they're going to study them in ways you can't even imagine in the intricacies of their footwork, their decision-making, et cetera. So they each need development. So if they each need development, you're going to look at, okay, which one leads needs the least development or which one can we progress? And you made the comment about Levis and Richardson. Maybe these guys can jump quicker. Uh, so you've got to really make it not just a, a judgment in regards to what it's going to cost you and what their talent level is now, but if they each need development, how quickly can we develop them to get to where we need them to be from the jump? Now, you know, Patrick Mahomes made the comment during the playoffs, hey, it took me three years before I felt totally comfortable and in control. So if it took Patrick Mahomes three years, are you going to throw C.J. Stroud or or Young or Levis or any of these guys out there on day one? Hmm. 
and expect what? I mean, you got to, there's a lot of expectations that need to be managed here, which the Colts have not been very good at over the last few years. Well, that's the thing, and, and this is why there's so many different ways to look at it. I'm not saying you're wrong, but the way I'd look at it, I'd be looking at the next 10 to 15 years than the first two or three years. You know, and that's that would be a way to look at it where you think about the ceiling. You don't think more so about the here and now. You think about the long-term ceiling. Go back to the 2018 draft. Josh Allen out of Wyoming, he wasn't as pro-ready as Baker Mayfield was, but look how that's turned out. And if you think about the ceiling of a guy like Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, they need a lot more fine-tuning, and you might take more lumps with those guys in the first two or three years than maybe a guy like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. But if you're winning over the long haul, that's what it's about. That's what I would be thinking of. And that's why it's so interesting because you can you can make a great argument for either side. Is, hey, what if this guy with the higher ceiling, he never gets off the ground really? It's Wait, like, oh, how good is that ceiling then? You're right. You do hope for 15 years. But Ballard also said in the postseason press conference, we expected Carson Wentz to be a five to six year plan. Sometimes what you hope and right. what you expect and what you want doesn't come to fruition. You have got to nail it. I thought, interesting what Steichen made the comment about, he said size isn't necessarily a deal breaker, mm-hmm. and um, which I would expect him to say. And I keep hearing the names uh, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson being thrown out because they are guys that aren't as tall as right. some of the other quarterbacks, the 6'3 guys, 6'6 guys, etc. But you don't ever hear about any of the guys that were 5'10 and didn't make it. <laughs> I mean, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson are like generational I, players. Yeah. Let me, let's talk about some of the guys that were 5'10 that didn't make it. Right. And and he also, uh, two things that Steichen said that I really kind of zeroed in on, the it factor, mm-hmm. and which we can talk about what is the it factor? What does that look like for you or for him? But the other thing I really found interesting was he talked about the obsession of being great and of being a great quarterback. And he said Hurts, Jalen Hurts had that gets there at six in the morning stays till nine at night there's not there i mean there's a lot of guys around the league that's not there in their dna and you might be a great college player but man it's not an obsession and uh i think it's going to be interesting as the interviews play out and some of the things that we hear from different quarterbacks who we get a feel from that it's an obsession to them. It's Brian No and Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. I think this, building off of what you're talking about, not all 5'10 guys are the same, okay? Like, we have to stop being so lazy where you're like, well, Bryce Young, he's he's shorter, but, oh, look at Russell Wilson. L- look at Drew Brees. Okay, let's, let's just start with that. Russell Wilson has mass. He's got some meat on the bone, Something that Bryce Young lacks right now. I don't ever think Bryce Young is going to be as thick, as built, as ready to take multiple hits and survive them as Russell Wilson is. I just don't see that frame for him ever. I hope I'm wrong. Drew Brees was an elite processor. Maybe the best of all time. 
at least on the short list of diagnosing a defense and getting the ball out quickly. If you don't have that type of processing ability, and let's say my guy Tua, let's say he takes a little long to figure out where am I going to throw the ball against the Bengals and he gets planted into the turf and he's got the the fingers like he's doing gang signs over there. Like, that's scary. Mm. You've got to be a quick, elite processor if you're at that type of frame to survive long term. So I get it that there are short quarterbacks that have thrived. I'm not saying no one can because that would factually be wrong. There have been shorter quarterbacks that have thrived in the NFL. But what did they have that maybe another 5'10 quarterback doesn't have? It's just too simplistic to say, well, these guys are 5'10 too, so yeah. it's all good. Like, not necessarily, no. And, and also, I think on, on the, you know, I'll take the devil's advocate of that. It's also um, probably unfair to say he can't do it because he's 5'10. What I, what I like about the fact that being small they say he can get out of the pocket he can adjust blah 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 but once you get out of the pocket then the option of running comes into play sure i'm gonna take six three two fifteen running yeah over five ten one ninety running Absolutely. or 185 running yeah and one of the things about getting outside the pocket is that you then have a choice are you going to make that pass on the run or are you going to run? Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, man, when you cross that line, oh, you're free. It's game. a new game. <laughs> you are free. It is game, a new baby. game. And and they make the rules to protect the quarterback in the pocket, but yeah. they still, it's the NFL, oh, man. man. They still it's, get hit. And I, I just maybe I'm gonna be convinced otherwise between now and the end of April. But right now, I just got. I got to go with the size. I, yeah, I. I don't see myself moving off that position. We got a little bit of sound here. Mel Kiper Jr. He was a guest on Waddle and Sylvie over on ESPN 1000. Listen to what his take is on what the Colts might do at QB. I think Chris Bauer, to me, when I look at Indy, I think they want a bigger quarterback. That's why I made the four to two move because I think I think they're going to go up to me and get Stroud or Levis or Richardson. I think they want the big guy. You know. Makes a lot of sense right there. I just don't know if Houston's going to do him any favors, though, going from four to two. Maybe he's got Houston moving up to one. I don't know. But. Within, yeah, and with it, you know, within the division. Yeah. And, um, and hey, you better believe it at Houston. I mean, um, you know, for their GM, you know, we, we're focusing on what the Colts are, you know, doing. But Nick Casario, who's the GM of the Houston Texans, I mean, this is a, we said it's a legacy-shaping decision for Chris Ballard. Same can be said for for uh, Casario at at Houston. I mean, this is, it's not just all about the Colts here. I mean, this is a huge Uh, time for the Houston Texans as well. And right now, a team that's within the Colts division is positioned two spots higher than the Colts in the draft. You can be darn sure if the Texans have their guy in mind when the draft comes, the last thing they want is for the Colts to jump ahead of them and take him. I think it's kind of interesting to think of if you could pick the Colts quarterback and you could also pick the Texans quarterback. Who would you choose for both? Within reason. You know, I, I don't want you to give me the 19th prospect. And that's who the Texans have. Out of the top four guys, or, or three, if it's as it's universally or multi, seemingly universally thought of as it's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, one, two, most likely. You might have Will Levis in that vicinity. If you're the Colts, who's your guy? 
if you're picking for the rival Texans, who would you stick for them? I would give them Bryce Young. That's who I would want. I would want them to have Bryce Young because of the frame and all that we've discussed. For the Colts, I'd rather have Stroud or Levis. I, I would rather the Texans have Young and the Colts have the other uh, the pick of the other two guys. Well, the sports talk shows in Houston are probably asking the same questions, really, that we're at. You know, do we want Bryce Young, the little guy? I mean, it's yeah. the same. They're playing within the same division, you know. And, and then one of the things that might keep in mind is that, you know, the uh, the Texans are they play indoors, right? The Colts play indoors, so half the games are going to be out of the elements. You're not having to deal with the wind and the cold and the weather, the elements that Justin Fields has to deal with in Chicago or uh, pick another cold weather, Cleveland, etc., Pittsburgh, where maybe uh, because of the elements, you want that big, strong quarterback whose ball is going to zip through the wind. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deal with that for half the games in Houston or Indianapolis, which might make uh, young, a little bit more of uh, a, an option for you. You're not worried about that issue. Um, not only are half the games going to be played inside if you're if you're Houston or Indianapolis, but then you also go uh, go to Houston or Indianapolis well, for a game. And think of the Tennessee, other two. The weather is decent yeah, in Tennessee. The weather is decent in Jacksonville. Yeah. So as a team in the AFC South, you don't really need a quarterback until you get into the playoffs where you're going to have to have maybe that guy that's the big, strong guy that can cut it through the wind. Yeah. Just another option to think about. Still, I don't know that I would go that route because of that, but it's something to think about. Depending on where you play your games, you may need a quarterback who has some different characteristics. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I owe Jimmy an apology. Halfway. Halfway. Because uh, his picks last night, or yesterday, we didn't get to. I didn't get to. So that was me dropping the ball. He did have Kevin Durant scoring at least 21 points last night. And he got to 23. He got to 23. Scored nine points in the fourth quarter. Little sweat. Little sweated out (laughs) moment. Wiped the sweat from the brow. But KD got there. Props to Jimmy for getting that one right. He did get his college basketball picks wrong. So it's halfway good that we didn't get to his best. So he was yesterday. one and two? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, I'd rather own my losses, but the way you're trying to make up for dissing me two days in a row is, well, he went one and two anyway, so it's, yeah. a, it's a good thing we did. I want to own it. I want to own the defeats. Yes. Way. Don't use yeah. my shortcomings for your shortcomings, Brian. No. Hey, I'm just saying you were one and two. I had to sweat out the win. That's I all. But I did. I did. Right. You got there with KD, and that was the one that stood out where I was like, uh, I don't know. Oh, and you got there. You got there. I, man, I had to sweat one out. I went adjusted line. This is degenerate betting at its finest. So, Jimmy, I went alternate first quarter Suns line. <laughs> and it was like 24 and a half. And I, I went in on that one. And they're barely scoring. Lawndale had to hit a three toward the end of the first quarter to help me get over there. They made another bucket, but I was sweating Man. that one. I'm like, they're playing the Hornets. The Hornets can't defend at all. This is Durant's son's debut. This is going to be money. And I was sweating, man. But we got there. I have a lot of degenerate sports that I'll play, but I don't go that deep into the fold because oh, I like the idea. I, and this is this is squeamish of me. I apologize. I like the idea of having time to make up because if the first quarter ends, then I'm having to chase somewhere else versus a halftime or full game bet. I got a little bit more cushion. Oh, Again, you got you got that, that that's that's a little scared betting in me, but I'll, I'll be honest about it. If you, know? you swing and miss on the first quarter, 
You got a lot of game left you if do. you want to go that's back why, to the that's well. That's why they play four. That's you do, but it depends how much we're putting on that first quarter. What, what, are, we, what are we looking at there? Yeah, that was <laughs> – thankfully we hit. Thankfully we hit. All right, we got a lot to do here today. Again, Guest Fest 2023. We got a guest coming up next. Mark Janes, voice of the IndyCar series, gets underway. Coming up here, Vince. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. You know, we are – Indianapolis and the biggest race in the world, the Indianapolis 500, is in our town. Uh, but and a lot of folks focus only on that one race. But there are other races in the series, and this is a big one, I think, uh, because it is the season opener. And anytime it's the season opener in any sport, there are questions to be answered. So we'll visit with Mark Janes and see if he has the answers for some of the questions that we're looking for. Are we going to have like the MLS guy, like the cricket guy? I'm just thinking about a full spectrum of the season begins. Let's talk to fill in the blank. Yeah, I don't think we need to do that. But because we are Indianapolis, we are we air the races within our radio uh, community here. And uh, and and it is the uh, the motorsports capital of the world. I, I think it's worthy today. You know, it's interesting. You know, I think folks consider this a an IndyCar uh, community, and uh, but NASCAR in NASCAR's in Vegas this weekend. It's a th- typically within the top five most viewed events in Indianapolis each weekend. So just racing in general is huge, especially I think on the IndyCar. All right, we'll get to Mark coming up next. I'm Brian. No, he's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Great to have you with us on a Thursday with Brian No, I'm Vince Welch, producer Jimmy Cook. Man, so much going on. Purdue and Wisconsin, Boilermakers back at it tonight, trying to snap out of their funk. Uh, we'll talk with Rob Blackman Coming up a little bit later in the show. Pacers trying to build on that win streak. How about that? They're off to a 2-0 start on this four-game road trip. We'll chat with Chris Denary about tonight's game in San Antonio. Of course, plenty of talk continuing about the NFL Combine and what's happening with the Colts. Former NFLer and broadcaster Solomon Wilcott's on with us in a bit as well. And right now, we're going to turn to auto racing with Mark Janes, the voice of the Indianapolis 500 and the IndyCar Series. The season begins this weekend in St. Petersburg. Not a bad day here in Indy, but uh, I always enjoyed that first race of the year in St. Pete where you could kind of put your toes in the sand and uh, hear the hear the waves rush in. Mark, uh, I'm sure it's a, a little better condition there than it is here. Thanks for being with us. Well, it's not uh, the Paugus Bay Motor Lodge in Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, we stayed, uh, Mark and I stayed at a, a hotel one time that honestly was so bad that um, I slept in the chair because I wouldn't get in the bed. It was so, and there were, it, and I'm not kidding you, there were dead like insects on the walls of this place. I mean, I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't get in the bed. I didn't take off my shoes. I sat in a chair all night long until it was time to get up the and uh, go down for uh, the carpool to the track. Scary. Yeah, what a what a road it's been for sure, wow. uh, my good friend. But uh, thanks for the invite. Happy to be with you guys and always happy to get another season underway. And uh, what a season it promises to be. I mean, uh, what do we do for an encore? We had a guy win a championship last year who won but one race in Will Power. You talk about a model of consistency, and then 
with all of the silly season stuff that seemingly started about the time we left St. Pete last year involving all the teams and, and marquee drivers. And uh, and now we're starting the season uh, with, with new places and new faces, uh, as always. And uh, a 27-car field, which is just uh, spectacular. And I, and I, you know, an announcement earlier today that uh, Firestone's going to continue as, as the uh, presenting sponsor for the next couple of years. The dates have already been set for the next two years. And, and I just thank the city of St. Petersburg and, and, and their politicians, starting with Rick Baker several years ago, who was a Speedway native. Um, I, I think that city, Green Savory, uh, they've all earned the right to be the season opener for the foreseeable future. I can't think of a better place or a better way to start a season. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday, Mark. The Indianapolis 500 is obviously, in our minds, the biggest race in the world, and it is the uh, the gem of the IndyCar series. But why does this race matter? Had the conversation because they were like, eh, other than the Indy 500, really, do the any, any of the others matter? Why does this race at St. Pete this weekend matter? Well, I think it does because it's it's the opener. And I, I mean, for a lot of guys that uh, maybe things didn't go as well as they, they, they thought they should have, have gone last year, like, you know, in totality, I mean, like Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing and Meyer Shank racing with Pagino and Elio and, and others. I, I think it's an opportunity to, to, to wipe the slate clean and see if all of the work and all the time and energy that you put into the offseason is going to pay off for you. Uh, I think if you're willpower, it's a chance to uh, d- defend a championship. And uh, I-, I think also, uh, while, as you suggest, there's no question that the crown jewel is the Indianapolis 500. Uh, toward that end, I-, I think after you put in all of the work that all of these teams put in in the offseason, I think it's important to get your season off to a very, very good start especially when, because of, of, of scheduling, you're going to have a couple of weeks to either feel real good about yourself or you're going to have a couple of weeks to think, did we really make the right changes if things don't go well for you because it's a couple of weeks before you get to race number two. You know, Mark, I've got a random question for you, but I'm just curious about it because when you're calling IndyCar races and some of the changes they've made to the cars where you can draft and pass more easily and there's just a lot going on, there's a lot of action, you've got to be sharp, you've got to be quick. And I, I would liken it to calling maybe a hockey game where there's so much going on, you got to be sharp. Is there a certain number of hours you need to sleep before you call one of these races so you're sharp and not fumbling all over yourself? Well, if that's the case in May, I'm in trouble because I don't sleep much before the 500. Uh, even after, you know, this will be my 27th year uh, with the network, and, and I think it's my seventh as, as, as the anchor. And uh, I just don't sleep much the night before because the magnitude of the event. But as Vince knows very, very well, I mean, there's a certain amount of energy that goes into it. But I think in terms of the preparation, it happens kind of organically because, you know, you're with the series week in and week out and you're familiar with the stories. And, and yeah, sure, especially now that, you know, we, 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 we're getting into race number one of the season. I have spent a fair amount of time. I mean, we did interviews with the drivers uh, uh, in the open test and media day, and I've been going back and listening to last year's St. Pete race and a couple of other races and, and making some notes on some things. But I think also we benefit with IndyCar Radio from the fact that 
we have a number of guys that have been together for a number of years now. Our driver analyst, Davey Hamilton, and uh, you know certainly Michael Young and Jake Query and, and Nick Yeoman and, and, and Ryan Marine, and the list goes on and on and on. And we've added some good ones like you know Rob Blackman and Scott Sander and Alex Wolf and, and Joel Sebastianelli. And because of that familiarity, um, you know, and the fact that we cover them week in and week out, uh, the, the, the prep comes almost organically. I mean, we try to stay on top of the stories, stay on top of developing stories if there's driver changes or things like last year, what happened with Pelot and that sort of thing. But in terms of preparing for the race itself, uh, we once we get into the rhythm of the season, I think we feel pretty good week in and week out about where we stand in our preparation. You mentioned the silly season beginning really at, as soon as last uh, last season ended and some of the changes. What's the biggest change from uh, last year to this year that fans will see when they roll on uh, this weekend in St. Pete? Well, I think everyone's interested to see, uh, you know, how Alex Rossi does with the uh, with uh, with Barrows McLaren, um, I, I think that he and 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 Felix Rosenquist at Award could 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 really start to challenge Ganassi and Penske, who have had a lock on the championship over the past several years. But uh, I, I think that's 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 something to look for for sure. Uh, one kid that impressed me last year, guys, was was Alex Pillow, with all of the controversy that surrounded him. I mean, they do a media opportunity on Friday, a bullpen. And he never once shied away from any question about it uh, before the race week- weekend, during the race weekend, or after the race weekend. And and I just think that uh, he showed a lot of moxie, and I think he handled that situation publicly about as well as, as, as anyone could. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, how Santino Ferrucci does with A.J. Boyd. I mean, they've made some notable engineering changes. Anxious to see how Kyle Kirkwood does with Andretti Autosport. So I think the most notable change is the shift that we've had in terms of, of, of drivers with new teams and in new situations and shifting within a team to see how that pays off. I think the championship could be very, very similar to last year's. I don't know that we're ever going to see again somebody reel off three, four, five wins in a season. I, I, I just think it's too daggone competitive. Uh, I think what it will take is another year very, very similar to what Will Power had when you win one race, but you string together a ton of podiums and a ton of top fives and certainly no DNFs. And I think if you do that, by the time we get to season's end, you should be in pretty good shape. Mark, before you go, I want to hear a little bit of dirt on my man Vince over here because, <laughs> listen, he's a nice guy. He's super professional. I, you know him very well. I need a story. Just something. Like he punched a bartender one time. He mooned a group of people. Just something. What What do you have to share with us here? I, you know, honestly, I mean, he's about as squeaky clean as they come. Yeah. I mean, he really is. <laughs> you I liar, mean, you. I, 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 I will say this. <laughs> I will say this. A few years ago at Texas Motor Speedway, it was the first time that I really felt that I was old uh, because I threw it down to a guy that was filling in for us as a pit reporter. Uh, a young man by the name of Dylan Welch, and I think that was about 25 years after I had worked the pits with his dad at Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah. So in that situation, that, that made me feel very old, and I know you're going to get the opportunity to work with him this year, and I'm thrilled to death for you. But uh, I, I'll tell you, my, my friend, uh, long been a fan of yours, proud to call you a friend, 
and uh, you're one of my favorite people for sure. Uh, that's nice of you. I appreciate that, and thanks for uh, sparing us the stories that we know you could have could have shared. <laughs> hey, uh, wish you the best. Uh, thanks a lot. I know it's a big weekend with the season opener at St. Pete. I love that venue, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing you guys this weekend, and uh, Godspeed to you, my friend. You better come to the booth in May, Vince. We'll see you soon. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks, right. guys. That's Mark Jaynes. 27 years as part of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network. And um, I think he said it was his seventh year as the lead announcer. And, man, to be the lead announcer for the Indianapolis 500 and and to have that opportunity, so few yeah. have done it. Such a prestigious post for those of us in the broadcasting world. So, uh, And he's a first-class dude, man. Yeah. He didn't share any dirt. That's nice. That's a of true him. friend, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, he is a true friend. Vince, yeah. squeaky clean. Huh? And, and the funny Welch. thing is, is there's so many people out there listening that went, "Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> make me sick. You know what I think of? This is such a stupid thought of mine. Are you a fan of the movie Goodfellas? Oh yeah, I love the mom movies. You know when um, there's that scene where Ray Liotta's wife goes to like the girlfriend's apartment and she's hitting the button she's like janice rossi i think of that when i hear alexander rossi every time in my head i hear alexander rossi is what i think of every single time i wish i didn't but i do vince he's a wheel man too man it's funny isn't it funny how certain things like you'll never probably forget him now because that's your relation of how you relate things and uh and it's interesting how that works but a lot of good drivers in the series and it's a it's a big weekend so certainly wish all those in the indycar series well hey you know speaking of of uh good times did you see the uh, notre dame uh situation you know mike bray coached yeah. his final game as the notre dame men's basketball coach last night at in south bend yeah and um and they won and so they won the home finale. And then afterwards, he went to the bar and uh, drank shots with students. Uh, Did he go fans. to the linebacker? Yeah, I think that... it was. I, and you're a South Bend guy, yeah, so yeah. you probably know exactly where he was at. It's right across campus because I was watching SportsCenter and Scott Van Pelt made a reference to the linebacker. And I was like, wow, has SVP been there before? He's probably alluding to what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about right yeah. there. Oh, that's really cool. I yeah. didn't know that part of it. So that's interesting. And uh, I know as a South Bend guy, when I saw that, I thought of you and thought, uh, man, what a cool cool thing for uh, Mike Bray to, to go over and, and kind of close it out that way yeah. with, with the students. And, you know, he's been there a long time, long time. man. And that's 23 a, years, I think. And, and he says he's not done, so we'll likely see him coaching somewhere else. But uh, to have a 23-year run in college basketball at one institution yeah. is uh, is pretty rare and, and that opens up a great job for somebody to come in there as well so it'll be interesting to see uh, how Notre Dame uh, chooses uh, to replace Mike Bray absolutely all right Vince coming up I got a hot take for you okay and I also think that this man is the Keyshawn Johnson of college basketball right now I'll explain. We'll see if you sign off. Give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brian Noah and Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. So I'm thinking about Keyshawn Johnson. Remember Keyshawn Johnson there, Vince? Oh, yeah. I know you do. Yep. The famous Outstanding, book. Uh, wide receiver and big eh, personality. He was good in college. Goofball. NFL. Yeah, he was all right. He was okay. But he had a famous book titled 
give me the damn ball, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking the college basketball version of that right now is Purdue's Zach Eady. And it's not so much about him saying that. I want everybody around him thinking that. Just give him the ball. Why are we having these games where it's like, eh, just kind of got away from giving the 7-4 guy the ball? How does that happen? The instant bucket. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I And, you know, Matt Painter's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. But uh, I don't know how you can't run the offense through him every single time down the floor. I want him to touch the ball at some point, unless you just get a basket in transition. Yeah. But if you're in the half-court game, he needs to touch it every single possession. And so many good things tend to happen when he touches it. Now, we've seen a little bit in this losing spurt where they've lost three of the last four, you know, where they've made some turnovers out of that double team where he gets double teamed and then he's, you know, made some turnovers, but they've started to clean that up a little bit. But I'm with you, man. It's like instant bucket. I I would get him the ball every time. It's got to be. If I'm a diehard Purdue fan, I'm infuriated. Think about the last game against IU where they're not hitting outside shots. They're not shooting well. And it's like, we just kind of got away from feeding the big man. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> insane to me. If he's getting doubled, okay, I get that. But if that's not the case, I, I don't. it baffles me. I think the other thing that's interesting is that Purdue and IU, they're basically opposites right now. They're polar opposites. Just their last game. Where if you look at IU, their last game against Iowa, you're like, play some defense. Good Lord. And if you look at Purdue's last game against Indiana, you're saying the opposite. You're like, hit a shot. Yeah. Like Although hit. the IU fans could say that as well. I mean, because <laughs> they against could, yeah. Iowa, they didn't play defense or make many <laughs> sure, shots. That's a good point. But, man, you look at Purdue's last game. Some of these stats are nasty. 35% from the field. Vince, 35% from the field. 21% from three. And that was actually misleading because they hit a couple of threes at the end of the game to boost their percentage to 21 from distance and only 66% from the free throw line. They were 22 of 33 shooting free throws against IU. That's pathetic offense. Well, especially, uh, you know, when you look at Purdue, Purdue has made more free throws than their opponents have attempted. So uh, Purdue lives at the line usually. So uh, that's certainly an advantage that they have. And the three-point shot, I mean, when they played so well early in the season and beat the teams that they beat, their guys were making the threes. Lawyers making the threes. Braden Smith was making the three. Newman coming in off the bench. Mason Gillis. But it, and, and it's similar to Indiana. If you don't make the threes, it allows the defense to sag in on the big guy, that's whether right. that's Trace Jackson Davis or Zach Eady. Now the double team is you is more effective because you don't have to worry so much about the guy knocking down the triple well and that's the other thing it's a good point but it makes it even more maddening that Purdue's not hitting shots at all against Indiana and Edie is still doing his yeah. thing yeah he's a bad, like, he's a bad dude man. how do you get away from that guy it just it baffles me okay you ready for the hot take by the way uh we'll talk to Rob Blackman Voice of Purdue Hoops. That'll be at 2.30. Yeah, Purdue at Wisconsin tonight. That's right. Yep. Uh, Solomon Wilcott's coming up at 1 o'clock talking some Colts NFL stuff. I've got a hot take for you. You ready for this, Vince? Roll it. I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not. We'll see how hot it really is. Our guy Eddie was in here. And Eddie Garrison was talking about uh, grabbing some sushi. And I said something, and Jimmy stopped in his tracks and said, whoa, that's aggressive right there. 
the most overrated food in America is by far sushi. What is the fascination with sushi? I see sushi shops all over the place. Not easy to say five times fast. (laughs) Why? Do you like sushi? I do like sushi. I'm speaking to the wrong guy over here. But I will say this. (laughs) But I will say this. There's a big difference between good sushi and not so good sushi. Maybe I had bad sushi. And, uh, And you can get good sushi in some unusual places. Because he was talking about going to Kroger, and I said, hey, pick up some sushi. Because I think at the Kroger I go to, they've got pretty good sushi. But, man, if you go to, you know, there's some good places here in town. Our friend over at uh, Kona Jack's uh, rolls out the, you know, good sushi. And there's there's uh, there's good sushi, and then there's been places where I've, uh, it's, uh. The funny thing is, I like most of the ingredients. If you separated them, I eat like I'm still 10 years old, yeah. Vince. I like chicken fingers separated. And, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. I'll, I'll have things mixed together, like a hamburger. I'm not going to say, oh, I need everything yeah. in its own space, but I, I don't know what it is about sushi, man. Just don't dig it. Don't yeah. dig it. Jimmy, are you a sushi guy over there? Oh, yeah. Really? Yes, I like sushi. Oh, and typically, you're, you're, it's not, a, uh, there's not much gray area with sushi. You either like it yeah. or you detest it or you would not be caught dead eating it or you love it there's yeah. not a lot of yeah we could go get sushi today if you want you know there's not a lot of that gray area i don't think with sushi. sort of like the notre dame football of the food world type thing well as a south bend guy you'd know that yeah yeah you're either yep. with it or yeah. way against yeah, it they love them or they hate them yeah. typically if you're notre dame right if yeah, yeah with pretty the notre much dame football goes. yeah Definitely. Yeah. Same thing with sushi, as we find out. It's kind of you look at some of the other school, you know, other sports. Um, Cowboys. Yeah. Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. We got a few. Duke of those. basketball. Duke. Good one. A lot of people love. Maybe them at or the hate top them. of the list, yeah. right there. Possibly. Yeah. Did you see the I hate Christian Leitner doc? I did see that. That was a good one. Yeah. That was really man. Good. That guy. If you and if you didn't see it, if you're not familiar, maybe depending on what your age is, if you're too young to really remember Christian Leitner yeah. and and Duke at that time, <laughs> go back and watch it because man, they they were legit. You know, Grant what's Hill, funny? Bobby Hurley, Thomas yeah. Hill. What's funny is you go back to last night. Alabama Auburn had a, a minor dust up. Yeah. A couple of guys got ejected, and I just had a flashback to Christian Leitner stomping on the Kentucky guy's <laughs> chest, and they're like, "Play on! Yeah. It's '92 or yeah. you know whatever early." Man, 90s. I saw uh, the NCAA finals <laughs> here in Indianapolis at the Dome when UNLV Jerry Tarkanian's yeah. UNLV Grandmama and Stacy Ogman and that group were in town undefeated in the Final Four, and Duke beat them, and it was incredible i mean an incredible college basketball game and and uh that era of basketball yeah it's different today and a lot of that is because you can't play with the physicality that you once played with and it's just like you know back in the the glory days of the pacers right with with reggie miller and so forth and michael jordan you go down the lane those guys would get hammered oh man and that was just part of it nowadays if you did that they got to go over and look at the replay because it's going to be a flagrant i know different game might get deported on top of it it's crazy i i worked with tark for a couple of years in fresno I'll share a couple yeah. of stories with you in the next hour. Tark is a gem. He's Look fantastic. All right, coming up next, Solomon Wilcots. He's over there at Sirius XM NFL Radio. Does a great job covering the NFL. We'll talk some Colts and beyond with Solomon coming up. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Oh, this music fires me up, Vince. I think I could run a 4-120 right now, you know? <laughs> Just half the distance. I, could, I think I might even go four flat. Well, you got yards. the burst. That's I, what you, you got the big burst. That's what they call me, Brian the Burst No, you know? <laughs> I don't know if that's football related or what, but we got Solomon Wilcox with the Sirius XM NFL radio host, does a tremendous job covering the NFL, and he joins us right here on The Fan. Solomon, what's going on, man? How are things in your world? Hey, man, keeping busy and uh, good to be on with you guys today. Hey, who is the most interesting team in the draft based on their position, their need, what they might do wheeling and dealing-wise? Who is the team at the top of the list in your eyes, entertainment value-wise? Yeah, I really do think it's the team uh, at the top of the board because I think there's going to be some movement, right? Chicago Bears sitting there with the first overall pick. I think it's been forever, maybe like 40 years, uh, maybe even longer since the Bears have had the first overall pick in the draft. Um, But, look, they don't really need the quarterback. And typically – you want that very special player. If you're going to use the first overall pick in the draft, better be that special player. Now, we thought it might be Jalen Carter, right, the defensive lineman, uh, given Matt Eberflus and his love for defense. We thought it might be Jalen Carter out of Georgia. But um, in light of uh, his recent arrest and the charges for reckless driving and racing, um, now we're, we're not sure. So that brings it with it, I think, a great deal more intrigue as to what could happen. They could stay there at one and take Carter, or they could trade down to look to get more picks and maybe take a defensive player, um, given that they're not going to take a quarterback. And I think they're trying to bluff with other teams to maybe think that maybe, okay, we might take a quarterback, we might not. Or maybe I think there may be several teams who would like to move to that number one position where the Bears are to get the quarterback of their choice. Man, Solomon, you think about the tough questions that these teams are facing where you just alluded to it with the Bears. Do we stick at number one overall and go with Jalen Carter? Do we trade down? You look at the Colts here in Indianapolis. They need a quarterback. Do you move up to number one overall and get a guy? Who is your guy? Do you stay pat at number four? There are really tough questions for some of these teams. Which team do you think is facing the toughest question draft-wise? I really think it's going to be the Colts. I, because you and I both know the Colts have to net a quarterback. They, they've, <laughs> they've had eight different quarterbacks over the last five years. They've taken the veteran route of, saying, okay, we're quarterback away, let's get that one veteran. But now it's clear they want to draft one, right? But what do you think Houston's going to do at number two? They're going to take a quarterback. If, if the, Maybe the Cardinals at three won't take a quarterback, but if there's another team that does want a quarterback, figuring they got to jump ahead of the Colts to get to number three, if you're the Colts, do you sit at four and risk that happening, and now you get – maybe the third best quarterback on the board where you could have moved up aggressively and got the number one quarterback on the board. So I, I think if you're the coach, you got to sit there and do your evaluation in terms of how you, how you like these guys. And is any of them worthy enough to be the first player taken in the, uh, you know, taken in the draft. And now you got to figure out 
how do I get to that number one spot? And be good for sale, because it really is. Hmm. Uh, good stuff, Solomon. Hey, Solomon, it's Vince. Uh, Tuck uh, Combine for a moment. Stroud, Levis, Richardson, they're all throwing this weekend. Young is not. Uh, what are the pros and cons of not just the quarterback position, but various positions, whatever position you happen to play, in regards to working out at the Combine and showing your stuff versus waiting on your pro day? What are the pros and cons to that? Well, I think for most of the quarterbacks, the, there's I, from everything that I've said, I've heard anyway, and talking with many of these quarterbacks, the, there's a huge con in throwing at the combine. Why? Because you're throwing to guys you're not familiar with. The timing of the passing game is very intricate, very important. So, in order for you to look your best, what have you waited till your pro day and you got a bunch of guys you've been sort of practicing with their guys that attend your school uh their guys that are still playing still have eligibility left but they're going to be out there on pro day uh and you're going to be throwing to all the quarterbacks that i've always seen have had the best workouts throwing the football have been guys who've done it at pro day and not necessarily at the combine even the best of them have waited to throw at their you know while on campus in very familiar surroundings so that's really the one. Now, the, the one con to that of waiting is, say, your Will Levis. Is all 32 teams going to come out to Lexington to watch Will Levis throw? Maybe not. I know they all show up at Ohio State, right? They all show up at Alabama, right? So if you're Will Levis, you might want to throw here. So I think those are the things you kind of have to weigh. Well, and Stroud and Levis and Richardson, I mean, they'll all have their pro days as well. So why do you think they're throwing at the Combine? Well, and, and maybe because, look, you feel good today. You want to wait and have a chance where maybe you're not feeling tip-top. You feel good. You want to you want to showcase your talents and be competitive and compete side-by-side side to those guys. Look, I think if you're, if, you're, if you're Stroud, if you're Levis, you got to tell yourself, I got a chance to be the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah, I like it. Everything I can, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen, right? Yeah, I like you that like mindset. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I do too. He's Solomon Wilcox joining us here on The Fan. What's the non-quarterback, non-Jalen Carter storyline you're most interested regarding the draft? I I think what you're going to find is that as much as the data analytics and the analysts have wanted to downgrade running backs, I think you're going to find that we might – more than one running back going the first round this year. And you remember Najee Harris, people were ripping the Steelers for taking him in the first round. And But at the, I think when you get to the bottom of the first round, for teams like, um, say, Buffalo, or even a team like the Bengals, because they have to decide if they're going to, you know, uh, restructure or release a Joe Mixon, who's set to count $12.7 million against the cap. Well, since you're taking, what, drafting at 28, do you take a running back late in the first round? Because what that does, it gives you a fifth-year option on that player, right? Much in the same way that uh, we've seen the Giants do with Saquon Barkley. And then you can use a franchise tag. If you do, you get to keep that running back up to six years and then maybe let them go, but you don't have to give them necessarily a second contract. 
And, and you've got some really good running backs in this year's draft class. I mean, above average, starting with B. John Robinson from Texas. So uh, you got – it's very rich with tight ends. Um, you got as many as four that could, could go in the first round, and you got as many as four quarterbacks that could go in the first round. So I think that's something to pay attention to. What's the storyline, if there is one, that you're a little tired of right now? Any fatigue going on with you, Solomon? No, no. Look, you know, I think the quarterback stuff is interesting this year because we actually have the players. Last year, at this time, I was suffering from the kind of fatigue that suggested that Malik Willis was going to be a first-round pick. That <laughs> All of these guys were going to be a first. And I knew Kenny Pickett was the only guy. I said, there's only one quarterback with a first-round grade. I'm sorry. And, you know, what happens is we kind of use the quarterback position to sell our draft coverage. But it's one of those years last year when it was all being manufactured. This year we actually have four legitimate guys, so that's fun. I, I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying it this year. Last year I, I don't know that I could have said the same thing at least the first week into the process. Solomon Wilcox is with us. You know, Solomon, uh, Shane Steichen in his press conference when talking about looking for one of those quarterbacks, he said he has to have the it factor. In your mind, what does the it factor look like? I, I, I think that's a very good question, by the way. And I think it's multiples, but more importantly, it's all the stuff from the neck up, right? It's, it's the poise under pressure. Like, how do, you know, all of them can throw it. You know, maybe some can run, maybe some can't. But Tom Brady can't run. He turns out to be the greatest quarterback we've ever seen, right? Um, some guys have strong arms. You remember Jeff George had one of the most beautiful arms, but didn't have the poise under pressure. Some guys can run it, uh, but maybe um, can't read the progression. The it factor is what you saw from Pat Mahomes in the second half of the Super Bowl mm. where they score on all four possessions. Mm-hmm. And he takes and he, he throws only one incompletion in the second half of the game, even though they were down by 10 at halftime to the Eagles. Um, poise under pressure in the it factor is Joe Burrow playing against the number one seed Tennessee Titans, and he gets sacked nine times, and he keeps getting back up, slinging it, and goes on the road and beat the Titans, go on the road the next week and, and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But nobody's telling you that Joe Burrow has the strongest arm. No one's telling you that he can run like Michael Vick or, you know, run the RPO game. That guy just finds a way to win. You see? Yeah. Is there one of those quarterbacks that one of the top four quarterbacks that's most mentioned that you see that in more than the others? Bryce Young. He's got it. Now, a lot of people are going to tell you he's small, but those are the people who are hoping the Colts and other teams pass on him because he falls down the trap board. They'll be the ones taking him. (laughs) So this guy knows how to win games. Um, C.J. Stroud showed us something, I think, in the and um, in, in uh, the semifinal game. Yeah, against Georgia. He, wow. Yeah. yeah, against Georgia. He he showed me something in that game. Now, he so look. Those are those are the two guys for me um, because the poise, the having played in the big games, and just understanding how to win and being coached by the right people. But I, for me, I still think Bryce Young is the, is the player. If I'm a miss, I'm going to miss on a guy like that. If I, I mean, if I have to. But 
He's he checks so many boxes that this height, weight, speed thing need not apply. You know, I need some Solomon's wisdom right here. That's your Twitter handle, Solomon, at Solomon's Wisdom. If you are the Colts GM, what would you do? Would you move up to one to try to get Bryce Young? Would you move up to two and maybe look at a guy like C.J. Stroud? Would you stick at four and maybe have an eye on Levis or Richardson? What would you do? I think either way, you got to get to one. Listen, first of all, you don't. I guarantee you Jim Irsay knows that. The best two quarterbacks he's ever had, he got in the number one slot. And Peyton Manning and, and, and of course, um, Andrew Luck. Even if he thinks – think about it like this. Say he gets to three. He's not going to get one of the top two quarterbacks. So another team could move up to one because you know Houston's taking a quarterback, right? So you, you got to get – if you want the guy you want, you got to get to one – and even if if you got to three, you could end up not getting the one of the two that you are high on. Say if you're high on Stroud and, and Bryce Young. If you get to three, you still could miss out on both of them. Which means you should have just stayed at four. So hmm. to me you gotta get to you gotta get to one to just ensure yourself you're gonna get the guy that you want. And guess what, man? Worst things have happened. You miss them. Look, if you're gonna if you're gonna miss Missed by swinging big. Yeah, you Get can't. The guy you want. Yeah, the the the, the problem is though in this in this game, right? You can't miss at number one. I mean, if you do, you're going to be looking for another job somewhere else. So that's going to be. Hey, I want to talk to you real quick about uh, as a former player. I thought it was interesting the NFL player survey that went out and the categories for all the different teams and in uh, regards to uh, the things that the players judged the franchises on. Um, treatment of families. I want you to tell me which one is most important as a player in your mind. Treatment of families, food service at the complex, the weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, or team travel. Which of those would be most important to Solomon Wilcox, the player? The treatment of families is first and foremost for me. And now treatment of families also... It's, it, it includes travel. For instance, I can recall when I was with the Pittsburgh Steelers and we were traveling to play in Spain. Uh, all, they, let, they wanted all the wives to come. And by seniority, you sat to the most forward part of the plane, meaning the longer you were in the league, you were in first class. Do you know who sat to the very back of the plane? The owners and the coaches. Hmm. That's interesting because the Colts, you know, one of the that's one of the areas that the Colts took an F on in in regards to their grade because they don't offer first class seats to the players, and I, I found that interesting. So it's uh, it's curious. I'm curious that uh, you know that you said that in regards to how important that is uh, was to you as a player. Hey man, think of a guy like Quentin Nelson. You think he's going to sit in one of them rear seats? You know how small those seats are. Back <laughs> I mean, that guy, that guy, I mean, first-class seat probably feels like an average seat to him, but my goodness. <laughs> I played with Anthony Munoz, and I remember mm. sitting and watching he and Max Montoya sit in these little bitty seats, and after a game, they're just hurting, and I'm like, this ain't right, man. 
There ain't no way these guys should be sitting in these kind in these seats. No, no way. The thing that surprised. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the thing that surprised me. I mean, obviously everybody can't sit in a first class seat because you have a limited number. But I would still think some of the players, some of the key guys, the veterans, etc., should get the first class seat. But what blew me away is that some teams, and the Colts included, in in some instances, make players room together that not every player gets his own room. And that just blew me away because I can't imagine being in a room with a guy that snores and I got to play an NFL game the next day and I got to check, you know, Juju Schuster, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, and I can't get a good night's sleep, you know, or I got to <laughs> I gotta deal with Patrick Mahomes and I can't get a good night's sleep because my roomie is snoring over here. I, I just I found that unfathomable. See, and everybody thinks us players are spoiled. You think we're overtreated. Look, I covered Major League Baseball. I played in the NFL. I covered Major League. Major League Baseball guys get the best treatment ever. Trust me. NBA guys get it pretty good, too, because they fly private jets. But NFL guys, yeah, you got a room with a guy in training camp. You got a room with a guy on the road uh, for away games. Now, I remember playing when I was at the Vikings. They were great. They would allow you to pay for the upgrade to, to have a room by yourself if you were willing to pay the difference. So they offered you room with a roommate, but if you were willing to play the difference, you were allowed to get your own room. And I, I thought that was very fair. Hey, Solomon, you're the man. Really appreciate the time today. Hope to catch you down the road sometime soon. Great conversation. Wish you guys the best of luck. Take care. Yeah, Thank good you. Stuff. There he is. Solomon Wilcots, Sirius XM NFL radio. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Awesome guy. It's funny because I've interviewed Solomon many times over the years and I swore I had his number and I looked at my phone and I didn't have his number. I left the show yesterday, walked hot 50 feet. There's Solomon Wilcots. I'm like, Solomon, what's up, man? <laughs> like he was sitting there, his friend, uh, John Embry, who is, um, he used to be the head coach of Colorado. He's an assistant coach with the Miami Dolphins, but he was sitting there enjoying a cigar with John. Yeah, Solomon played at uh, UC, uh, played for or at uh, CU for uh, Bill. I think he played for Bill McCartney, didn't he, uh, at Colorado? Yeah. So uh, great, great college player, and uh, of course uh, was a terrific high school player out in, in California, and then uh, had a nice little NBA or uh, NFL career. And I always like the the players' perspective on some of the things that we don't really think twice about. You know about going on the road and and having a roommate or yeah. having to sit in coach when sure. you're six six, you know. And imagine if you left one of the top teams as far as those accommodations yeah. and went to one of the worst. Yeah. It'd stand out even more like what are we doing over here? I don't know. I was having pizza with my girlfriend yesterday. I don't know if I saw Mike Tomlin or not, the Steelers head coach. I looked too late. I looked when he was like parallel with me. And I just got the side view. And I'm like, is that Mike Tomlin? I almost ran out. And I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, Mike! (laughs) I'm like, I'll never know. I don't know if that was Mike Tomlin or not. Well, that's the one thing about being downtown Indy this week is you never know who you might see. Because if you're uh, who's who of the NFL is here or whether you're a big time college player here for the draft, whether you're working out or not for the combine, um, you're around. And um, so a lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrity spotting going on here this week in Indy. Absolutely. By the way, I was telling you about working with Tark yeah. in Fresno, Jerry Tarkanian, yeah. you mentioned his running Rebels. It, it was a rock show yes, it back was. then, the team that they yeah. had and the stars they had. But I got to work with Tark for a couple of years in Fresno. He hosted a radio show. And so Tark would pre-record his interviews 
with all these coaches. His show aired on Wednesday evening. And so these coaches, they're not going to come on live. They've got games. they got practices. They, so we'd always pre-record in the morning. And so I'd go there, meet Tark, and, and he was awesome. Tark was fantastic to work with. But one of the funnier stories, we're about to record an interview, and he just picks up the phone. And his end of the conversation, it's like his publicist or someone that helps him with random things, you know, in his inner circle. And his end of the conversation is like, hey, when, how, where? Like that's the type of thing. <laughs> he puts the phone down and he goes, ah, I'm going to the Super Bowl. And this wasn't just any Super Bowl. This was Super Bowl 42 with the undefeated Patriots taking on the Giants. Wow. And this was right before it. And we're talking just like hotel accommodations, travel, everything, tickets for the game laid out. And he's just like, ah, I'm going to the Super Bowl. And I looked at him, I was like, I hate you, Tark. Are you serious <laughs> right now? He was awesome, man. He was a lot of fun to work hey, with. Hey, speaking of Super Bowl, did you see that Joe Montana's selling all his memorabilia? I saw that it went for more than Brady stuff. That's the only thing I saw. And one of the things that, and I don't know if this was, it was the most expensive one that I saw. So I, I don't know if when it was all said and done, it ended up being the most expensive. But he wore a jersey in the Super Bowl, and then after the Super Bowl, kept it. And then... The next Super Bowl, his wife said, you should wear the same jersey. Oh, wow. You know, for good luck, because they were wearing the same color. Yeah. didn't have any, like, Super Bowl patch on it or yeah. anything wow. of that nature. This so is... he took it and wore it again <laughs> and won again. Wow. So he wore the same jersey in two separate Super Bowls and won both. Wow. Um, which has got to be, I can't imagine that Brady ever wore the same jersey no. twice, this especially was like in the, the Super Bowl. The prehistoric, no patches, like that's unheard right, of now. Especially. Yeah. But that jersey went for $1.2 And I thought, you know, that is, if you were really in the memorabilia game and you had that kind of jack, yeah. I, think that's, I think that would be such a unique item that uh that it it might be you know you got to have stupid money i mean you know right, for us right. to say some anything is worth 1.2 minutes is crazy but if you got stupid money and that's your thing um that's a pretty cool item i would have to have whatever the next phase of stupid money is i like i'm a huge sports fan but some of the stuff that sold remember the <laughs> when brady did the video announcing his retirement someone grabbed sand <laughs> from where he was sitting it was gonna sell for like a hundred k you know what i mean like some of these people that buy this stuff i don't get it yeah that's crazy i'm curious which games we're talking about here because i went straight to super bowls 23 and 24 so the first one that was the the touchdown pass to john taylor against the yeah, Bengals. Yeah. remember they were wearing their dark uniforms yeah, the red and then the next year against the broncos when they crushed them 55 to 10 they're wearing white so it's like, which games are we talking about here? I'm talking about the Super Bowl against the Dolphins, and then he wore that jersey that he wore against the Dolphins. In 23? Against the Bengals for the drive. So he went from, huh. that Dolphins one was Super Bowl 19. He waited till Super Bowl 23 wow. to rock the same jersey? Hmm. It says just what Vince said. His wife Jennifer pulled a jersey from a scrapbook, packed it with a note, maybe you want to wear it again in a stadium bag for that game and he did that's, that's amazing that's pretty to me. cool 
I would love to know how many teams in the current NFL have not changed their uniforms one bit over like a four or five year period. Well, nowadays they've got like three three or four different versions of the uniforms, yeah, right? Sure. I mean, you know, it's there's the throwback uniform. There's the, you know, it, which is all for merchandising purposes. They want to wear different uniforms. So then you want to go out and buy that jersey of the, you know, uh, of the old throwback scheme or whatever the case may be. But I liked it when it was just the the old, you know, the Rams or the Chargers, the old Chargers or, you know, I admire the Steelers and the Browns for really not changing their uniforms. And the Colts haven't changed much. Not, not much. There's more teams than you think. Kansas City hasn't. Yeah. Like the, there's, yeah. there's 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 a I don't I don't think outside of maybe one or two like color rush games, I don't think the Cowboys really have drastically, have they? Not much. So. No. But then you look at uh was it like the, the Seahawks wear those like neon yep, green yep. and Dolphins and, have changed yeah. theirs over the years. Like I, I don't know. That's just kind of interesting. Which do you think would have sold for more? Because I love that idea and it boosted it to 1.2 million. Let's say he wore two different jerseys for Super Bowls 19 and 23 and sold them both. Would that have been higher or lower than 1.2 mm. million? Yeah, that's interesting. I would assume lower, but I, I would, would it be think, funny if well, <laughs> combined? I would think they would have been lower because really the unique aspect of yeah. this jersey sure. is that he wore it twice. To give you context on it. And I think you might have mentioned this because you were looking at different jerseys. The white one from Super Bowl 24 also sold in a separate auction uh-huh. for 720000 See? Yeah. See? His wife cost him money. Yeah. That's what we figured out right there. Wife cost him are money. Are you still talking about the auction? Or are you <laughs> With wearing the same jersey. <laughs> oh, 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 I thought you meant two... just in general. So if, if one sold for seven hundred k, you know, we, we should have yeah. worn... Two different jerseys for those two different Super Bowls, as it turns out. I that I, Super Bowl was the largest margin of victory ever still, so there is historical significance for the jersey that sold for 720 eh. So, I mean, but you got you got to evaluate that, I think, yeah. in terms of... I'm not an auctioneer. I'm just reading this article and going off what uh-huh. they're saying, but, I mean, it would appear as though... This is obvious, but the significance of the game, the historical aspect of it, is going to drive up the value of said jersey. It's probably his last Super Bowl, I think, that would drive it... Maybe more than the well, and Jimmy, you're a big up. Kansas City Chiefs fan, and I, I think like his the last uniform he wore ninety two thousand, yeah, ninety two thousand, his last game ever, um, his high school jersey went for like sixty seven grand. <laughs> I mean, just which it, it makes you wonder, you know, why you why you sell all your stuff, or you know, does it just you know, for instance, we recently did a remodel at our home and my wife said, you got to get all this stuff and you got to do something with it. Right. You know, well, I didn't want to like box it up, go through the trouble of boxing up. So I just threw it out. <laughs> but like I went through, like spent a whole day going through like old memorabilia of things that I had collected through the years and was like, oh man, I got all oh, this. I love this, but tossed it in the trash because I didn't want to pack it up somewhere. My thing is, how could your ego not get out of control? I mean, think about that. If you're like Michael Jordan and blow your nose and your friend says, MJ, don't throw that away. That's worth at least $20,000, right? Like, how, how do you just act yeah. normal at that stage? You know, and I think that it says, does it say something about Montana's humility that he doesn't need any of that stuff? Because I think I saw somewhere where somebody said you would walk in his home and you would have no idea he was Joe Montana. I agree like with that. Like had nothing that said football, right. Hall of Famer, right. or anything. I, no, I agree. I and, think that's really cool. And other celebrities that, that I've come across, some are that way, and some it's like a shrine to them by, and their accomplishments. By the way, randomly, 
I'll connect two things in this segment that have been talked about. We're obviously talking about Joe Montana. I was there for the Bush push game when mm. Notre Dame played USC, and yeah. I saw Joe on the sideline. It was cool. I was doing, like, the pregame show, and so you could go down to the field for, like, the final five minutes. So I was on the field for that moment, and I saw Joe with his wife, and I'm like, I'm not going to bother Joe. There are enough people coming up to him and saying whatever. And then Solomon Wilcots, he mentioned Anthony Munoz, who was a fantastic Hall of Fame tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was on the field. He went to USC. He was on the field for that game. And so I I just felt this presence next to me. And I looked up and up and up and up. And I saw this mountain of a man named Anthony Munoz. And I'm like, holy hell. These guys, if you stand next to them, it's amazing. And I'm... I'm Bryce Young's height. Yeah, I, you know, like, Montana was not a big guy. I mean, you know, I mean Joe's not. Joe's not that. You know, he's not a. He was probably about six four. I want to say he's pretty what, close Jimmy, to Brady's what's, height. Uh, what's Joe Montana's measurables? I'll find it after the break. I'd yeah. say between two and four. You see that subliminal message? Yeah, you I think see it that? means we got to take. All a right, break. we got Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers. He'll be on with us coming up. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch. It's one oh, it's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Welcome to the Midday Show with Brian No. I'm Vince Welch. On this Thursday, man, it's been an action-packed day, and we're going to continue rolling right along. Big Pacers game tonight. Pacers on the four-game road trip, and so far they've won both games on that road trip, and they are in San Antonio to take on the Spurs tonight. And the voice of the Pacers on the television side, Chris Denary, joins us. How's the world treating you, Chris, in San Antonio? Uh, weather has been uh, very hot and humid here. It, it, it reached 90 while we've been here. It's wow. been crazy. I know it's. I know it's been really nice up uh, in Indianapolis. Talking to my wife a little bit earlier, um, and and so we are. We were supposed to spend the night after the game here, but we're now. We just got word we're going to fly after the game because we go to Chicago. And, you know, with the, the snow and the, the cold and the ice, I, I think it, they were looking at tomorrow might be a, a poor travel day. So we're going to travel after the game and, and uh, get to Chicago and then play the Bulls on Sunday. So Take us through uh, the logistics of that, Chris, and how what happens after a game. So take us through from when the game ends till you get on the plane to travel yet that night. What happens in between? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll go back to uh, we were in Dallas on Tuesday, and so you know we knew we were flying after the game. So uh, it was a 7:30 game here uh, in the Central Time Zone. Game ended about 10. Um, you know, you do your media. We have our post game show. Um, I help out digital and get some interviews in the locker room. And you know, we're told there are three buses, and the last bus is going to leave at 11. So you make sure you're out and ready to go. And at 11 o'clock, you roll. Uh, to the airport, you know, by the time you get to the airport, you know, it's 1130, 1145. Uh, you you got to go, you know, some of us have to go through security. Um, you know, it, it, you're selected and you, you've got to have your ID, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, you get on the plane and then, you know, that plane probably took off between 12 and 1230. And it was about a 55 minute flight to San Antonio 
So you're getting in to, you know, about 1.30, and then you've got buses at the airport, and you get on the bus, and they head to the hotel, and then we get our rooms. And by the time I got settled, I think Tuesday night, and, and I like to get my computer set up, my printer, I sort of like to have everything set, and then I go to bed. It was probably about 2.45 in the morning, I think, um, by the time that happened. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, you get used to it. I had not traveled for two years. I think people know that we had done the games remotely, uh, the road games the last two years. So, uh, you know, back in October when we traveled for the first time and had a seven-game road trip and a five-game road trip, that was a real jolt to the system. But, um, you know, it's, it's great to be back on a regular schedule. Um, you know, being around the team, being around the coaches, uh, I mean, that's so important when you're the voice of a team. And I've really enjoyed being around this group. And, uh, you know, you're around them on buses at 2.30 in the morning. Um, and, and so that's just the life of uh, doing what we do. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, we, ta- we had Solomon Wilcots on just a few minutes ago talking kind of about that NFLPA uh, survey that had gone out, uh, you know, inter- uh, surveying the players about so- certain elements of their franchise and, and the travel was one of them and, and how some players didn't get first class and some organizations they were able to sit first class etc what does the uh what is there any hierarchy on the pacers team plane when you travel in regards to where you sit well the the nba uh, the nba and delta i think have a there are 11 planes that uh, work with 29 nba teams they work with the nhl they work with mlb and so all of our seats are first class uh, it's a charter. Um, the players sit up in the front of the plane. The coaches uh, are in the middle, and there are, like, tables there that, you know, they can get on their computer and work and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, staff, uh, you know, radio, TV, athletic trainers, um, security. Um, there are there are times that we will fly with corporate partners that will go on our plane with us. Uh, we had, just a few weeks ago, we had, like, seven or eight moms uh, it was the mom trip where, you know, the players get to take their mom. So uh, I really – the Pacers do a great job in, in how we travel. And uh, uh, in a, like I said, having not traveled for two years, you had to get back into that rhythm. But, um, you know, it's just something about – you know, the way we do it too is with our buses now, it's not just staff and, and, and players. I mean, after the game, I might be on the bus with Tyrese or – miles and you know they're watching the highlights of the game and they're asking you questions uh it's just really cool to to be able to have that relationship with those guys because when you're the voice of a team you've got to build that trust right because you know you're calling their games and they've got family and friends and all these people watching the game so it's just really helpful to have you know a relationship now most of these guys I mean, all of my boys are older than all of the players on our team. So it's not like you're best buddies with them, but there's a respect level that you gain, and I think you gain a lot of that by being around them. You know, it was a long dry spell for the Pacers to win a game on the road. Now they've won two in a row. What have they done specifically in these last two games that was lacking in that long road losing streak? Yeah, I think one of the things that they've done, and it really started the the final game before the All-Star break when they came back and rallied to beat Chicago, I just think they've been better offensively. You know, a lot of people always point to defense. you got to be better defensively. Uh, but this team has, has shot the ball really well. I think getting Tyrese Halliburton back, you know, he had missed 10 games. And even though when he came back, 
uh, you know, it takes a while to, to, to get back into a rhythm. And, you know, that was an 11-game road losing streak. You're right. And a number of those games they had a chance to win and they didn't. Um, I think they got a lot of confidence from how they played a week ago against Boston when they lost in overtime at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They were playing a, a team similar last Saturday in Orlando, who's very young but has a lot of terrific talent. And, and they really pretty much led that one start to finish. And then Tuesday, uh, they didn't blink when, when Dallas made those runs with Doncic and Kyrie Irving uh, in an atmosphere that felt like a playoff game, 20,000 people. Um, you know, they made the plays down the stretch that they, that they needed to. So I think it's just a confidence level that they've regained. Uh, I think they're playing more like the team that played in December and early January when they were 23 and 18 and sixth in the East. They lost that when Tyrese got hurt. Um, they struggled a little bit when he came back. But, you know, at, at this point, what we've seen here uh, in recent history, they, they bounced back and played pretty well. What would you say about the Riverwalk, Chris? Is it legit, overrated? How would you deem it? No, Riverwalk is fine. We, we, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Ken Softman, and I, and, and Vince, uh, those are two Ball State Cardinal uh, alums. Uh, we sat on the Riverwalk and, and had some chips and salsa and a nice beverage last night. So I like it. I mean, I, I hadn't been here for two years, so I had to get out and experience the Riverwalk. So it was good. Pacers at full strength tonight. I saw Halliburton maybe a little bit of a calf strain. Does he play this evening? I, I you know, I would think he would play. I mean, you, you've always got to list those guys. Uh, they had a practice yesterday at uh, Trinity University, a Division three school here in San Antonio, and um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. He's on the injured list, but um, as far as questionable, but I would, I would estimate or guess that he would play but again we won't find out you know for another few hours or so he was on the show yesterday uh around this time that um we got word of uh, david benner's passing and for those that um uh, were listening yesterday i I, you know i and i I told jmv and and uh, jake query who both spoke very eloquently uh, jmv yesterday afternoon jake query this morning very eloquently and at length about david and um uh, yesterday, I could only go about uh, 30 to 45 seconds because I'm the kind that gets really emotional in those situations and, and, and uh, frankly, was afraid I would break down on the air. Um, but I know that David meant a lot to you and personally, not just uh, on the professional side, but uh, if you could share a little bit about uh, your relationship with David and, and uh, the loss that we all feel with uh, his passing yesterday. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a tough one. I, I you know, unfortunately, we all knew that it was close. Um, you know, we had uh, you know, I talked to Mark Boyle and, and Chrissy Myers, who are especially close to him. I mean, you know, Mark and David were like long lost brothers, and and Chrissy, you know, started as an intern twenty plus years ago, so she had been around you know David for a long time, and you know they he had gotten to the point in the hospice where it was family only, and so you. you you know, you knew that the time was close. I mean, you know, I met David, it's probably, you know, it seems like 40 years ago when uh, he worked for the Indianapolis Star. And then all those years that I did college basketball at Butler, you know, I, I would run into him. He was the beat writer for IU basketball and he did Notre Dame football. And, you know, then he went to the Pacers and, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I said about David, when I got the Pacers job in 04, 
Um, he was so accommodating and, and he treated me. I had never done an NBA game, you know, before I got the job. I had done one um, radio game uh, with Slick in 2000 um, uh, when I got the fever job. So I had never done an NBA game on TV until I got the Pacers job in 04. And, you know, you would have thought that I was a longtime broadcaster in the NBA the way David treated me. And uh, I always look at that fondly. And, you know, you just when, when you're on the road with people and you know this, Vince, you know, from all your travels is, you know, you build relationships with people. And, um, you know, a lot of times um, and, and Rick Carlisle and, and the, the players said this yesterday, you know, David had a unbelievable relationship with Reggie Miller. And then of the current Pacers, if you go back, think about George Hill is back, you know, and, and George and David, you know, had a relationship. And, and George mentioned yesterday um, in an interview, he said, look, you know, we spend more time around our teammates and the staff that we travel with sometimes than our families. And so you really get to know somebody. And, uh, you know, there's no question that, uh, you know, the Benner family and, you know, I've, my heart breaks for brother Bill and, and, and his wife, Jane, um, you know, they've meant so much to the Indianapolis community, the, the state. And, and, and David was such a great representative of our franchise. And, uh, you know, he he will uh, truly be missed. Hmm. Well said. Thank you, Chris. Um, best of luck tonight on the uh, game. Uh, and thanks for uh, taking a little bit of time to talk Pacers hoops with us. So looking forward to it. Hopefully you get a third straight win on the road. Be a great way to start that road trip with three in a row. It will. And I do want to say one thing to you, Vince. Uh, I want to congratulate you having the opportunity to work with your son, Dylan. I saw that press release that you guys will be in the same booth. And I know for me, and and you remember this, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I did high school basketball games with my dad, and that was some of the most special memories that I'll ever have in broadcasting. So I can't wait to uh, hear and watch you and Dylan work together. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that, bud. Yeah. All thanks. right. Thanks, Vince. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, and Chris is mentioning, if you're not familiar, my son Dylan is a broadcaster as well, works for NBC and and um, does a lot of uh, sprint car broadcasts. Uh, Flow Racing is a streaming service. And Kyle Larson, NASCAR champion, and, and will run the Indy 500 in a couple of years, actually looking forward to that. But he uh, he runs his own sprint car series, and they run on a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night called the High Limit Series, and they pay... Uh, big money to win, uh, thirty dollars to $50,000 to win. And um, I'm going to have an opportunity to uh, broadcast. There's, it's just 12 races, so it's, you know, it's not a full-time gig or anything, but it's a, it's a fun uh, opportunity to stand up in the broadcast booth with your kid. And uh, he's 29, but he'll always be a kid, you know, my kid. And uh, and to uh, to work on a broadcast with him side by side, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm sure you are. That's cool stuff right there. And uh, I just think of there are many examples. I think of remember Ricky Prohl, yeah, the receiver. Yeah. He's an assistant coach with one of the XFL teams, and his kid plays wide receiver. Wow! And he caught a big touchdown. Uh, he had a touchdown grab and Ricky's hugging him on the sideline and stuff like that is awesome. I also take that Chris doesn't know my name. I got to work a lot harder where he's like, see you Vince, see ya guys. I don't know who the hell you're talking to today. So I got to, I build my name recognition up. So Chris Denary knows who I am. We got to make sure Jimmy, you know, hammers that home with the guests, you know, next time. It's no Brian. No, 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 no. I know you haven't heard of him. 
Brian, no. Jimmy, if you, you can say, work you that say in. Ryan? Okay, Ryan, okay, yeah, I got yeah, it, got it. Yeah, please get that in there. So It good. could be worse. I mean, you know, is, is it worse to not say the name or to say the wrong name? Wrong name's way worse. Yeah, I agree. Way worse. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been doing so? You know, you're you're visiting with somebody and you say, "Okay, well, see you, John." And his name, and you know, you I'm walk sure away, and the wife says, "Would you call him John?" His I'm sure I have on interviews. You know, like yeah, yeah, like you glance at the uh, the next guest and like, uh, all right, Matt Taylor. I'm I'm sorry, man. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's worse when you don't catch it. Yeah. And you just look like an idiot, yeah. you know, which I do really well. I, yeah. You just play it off, you know. You just, <laughs> on to the next I got thing. that part down pat. The looking like an idiot part, I, I'm really good at that. <laughs> A lot of practice. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Oh, man. What a day, huh? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, um, you know, we talked about the, the Pacers and the Spurs, and, and I don't know what uh, – we had a good conversation, I thought, yesterday. You made some good points about, you know, not wanting to see your team win to get the better draft pick, et cetera. But the Pacers have got it, uh, you know, to go on a road trip and win the first two, and now you're going to a team and play in San Antonio that just snapped a 16-game losing streak. For the Pacers at this stage to open up a four-game road trip with three straight wins, I mean, that would be huge. It'd be huge for their their odds plummeting. That's what I'm concerned <laughs> about. They've right already now. topped the over under for their season wins, so I think everything at this point's gravy. Jimmy's telling us we got to take a break. Let's do it. 93.5107.5, the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What a great show it's been, and we're not done yet. Coming back, we'll uh, talk about uh, the big game tonight for the Purdue Boilermakers at Wisconsin. Two left for the Boilers. They're on the road tonight taking on the Badgers. Can Purdue snap out of that funk they've been in? Maybe make some outside shots? That'd be something different, wouldn't it? We'll talk with Rob Blackman coming up at the bottom of the hour, and when we come back, dive into a little bit more of what's happening just down the road at the Combine and how it impacts the Colts with the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. You're with Brian No. I'm Vince Welch. This is the fan 93.5107.5 i get cranked up when i hear this music vince absolutely cranked up over here you what's your go i noticed you i noticed you tightened up the cleats a little bit you <laughs> got them all snugged up for your big run what, what do you think you'd do the 40 in oh my gosh it would be i mean could you make obscene. it 40 could you make it? <laughs> i could make it 40 yeah. without stopping without stopping <laughs> In a very unimpressive time. I really don't know how hard it would be to break six seconds. Dead serious. I don't know how hard it would be. I would imagine I'd be somewhere in the fives. I don't know. I don't know if it starts with the five or it starts with the six. Yeah, I'd like to set the bar low and (laughs) and overachieve versus, yeah. We did one thing. So I did local radio for a couple of years in Portland. And uh, one of the guys that worked... Uh, on the station he was the son of former Seahawks running back Kurt Warner oh okay and so John Warner was a good athlete he played at Penn State he was a a football player and so he he was a good athlete and young he's like in his probably mid-20s at the time and so we did this thing where I started with a 10-yard head start and he's like, I still think I would beat you. I'm like, John, you're, I'm not that slow. You're not beating me with a 10-yard head start in the 40. And I won, barely. He was tracking me down, but uh, I, I got him. But 
you know, if he's running the 40 and I don't know, let's say four, six, four, seven, and I'm barely beating him while running 30 yards. <laughs> I don't know if I crack six seconds in that. Thing. It's amazing to me uh, the size of some of the linemen that run good times. Oh, yeah. I mean, these yeah. guys are massive, and they still bust out of the block and put down a, an impressive 40 time. Absolutely. Dontari Poe with the Chiefs, who is over 300 pounds. It's amazing mm. some of the things that he measured in at. Oh, we got Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts here on the fan. Matt, um, combine numbers for you. What are we looking at here? Bench press 40, just ballpark it for us. What do you think you'd do? Yeah, I think I think my my exit time out of the combine to my car was a good three and a half minutes. Uh, I think, you know, my 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 bench curl with sandwich to the face today was about you know four four and a half bites per sandwich. I think so. I, you know, I think I'm I'm upper quartile, if you will. I'm upper echelon in terms of the testing and among the media today. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, not Radio quite. Row. Not quite mid season form, but that's pretty good numbers for uh, preseason combine time. That's well right. Done. That's right. Mid mid February, I think those are things you can build on right there. Uh, Matt, obviously today is mostly about. Chris Ballard's comments yesterday about the Colts having the number four overall pick, and he really downplayed it. He a lot of people are saying smokescreen in terms of hey, we might be okay just sitting here at at fourth overall. What were your impressions of what Ballard had to say yesterday, and not just your own reaction, but the the general public's reaction to that here in Indy? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that's you know what things you say. I mean that really wasn't expecting much more than that to be honest with you so personally I didn't really uh you know freak out over those comments or or overreact to them because you know it's it's early March you know what wh- what's he supposed to say in terms of you know is he just supposed to come out and say yeah I'm all in on number one whatever it takes to get there and, <laughs> and, and we'll do it and you know we'll, we'll mortgage the next five years in order to I mean no he's not going to come out and say that so he's going to you know play those cards close to the vest I mean that that's just Chris Ballard in general but any GM in that uh, specific situation would, would have probably handled it in a similar fashion. So, no, I mean, really didn't take too much into that. And, you know, and, and I also, too, you know, I, I think he's he's right to a certain degree. Like, I, I think it's beauty in the eye of the beholder on all of these quarterbacks, and it just kind of depends on what you covet and the traits that you prioritize more more than, than other things. But, um, you know, it's fascinating to hear, you know, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen both talk about, you know, there's not the perfect prospect in, in this draft, right? There's not the Andrew Luck or the Trevor Lawrence or if you go back way even before that, right, like the John Elways or the Dan Marinos. Um, so they all have a little bit of a red flag or things that give you pause a little bit that make you want to continue to vet and go through this process. But more than anything else, it's just we want the guy that's got just this relentless passion for football. This has to be the guy, if we make this decision, especially if they go from four to one, it's got to be a guy that's convicted for his love of the game, his passion for it, relentlessness to get better, to learn, and to grow. That's going to be great for our locker room. That's going to elevate the rest of the huddle when he's out there on offense. So like that more so than anything is what they're looking for. And then – 
you know, I, I think all of those guys have that to a degree, but I think that's what this week of the Combine is all about, is trying to figure out to what degree do those guys have that, that kind of matches up with the traits they want with the Shane Steichen offense. Matt, well, you've got the three of the four, the top four are going to throw, and, and Bryce Young's not. But in the interview process, they all will interview. What do you want to know? What would you want to know from, from those four? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about. Like, I want to know their mental character. I want to know their mental makeup. And, yeah, I, I probably if I'm in there, and you know, which I'm not, but if I'm in there, if I'm the GM or the coach or high up in the personnel staff, I want to throw some things at them and talk about, like, their football acumen, draw up some plays or show them some film. Like, what are you thinking here? What would you do in this situation? Or, you know, pop on some tape from last year of their own tape. Like, what were you thinking here? Why did you go there with the football? And and kind of break down, like, their mental processing ability, if you will. Um, but then I would probably save some time to just get to know them. And it's 15 minutes, and some of that, I'm not saying you can, like, lie your way through that. Um, but it's only 15 minutes, but you want to get a, a feel for how a guy looks you in the face. Is he real? Is he genuine? Does he really seemingly like being there? Does he really is, is he really intense about his, again, love and passion for the game? Now, it's 15 minutes. You can't cram, cram all of that into that short amount of time, but that's when the top 30 visits, that's what those are for, that's what the pro days are for, and visiting with this guy one-on-one off to the side. I mean, I was just talking to a guy, um, you know, Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl. We just had him on here at the Combine, and he's a former scout, right? He's a former executive in the NFL. And I asked him, like, with this magnitude of a decision, like if you're the Colts sitting in the top five, hopefully they're not going to be in this position for a very long time. So if you're if you're here, you really kind of have to make it work. You got you got to really capitalize on this opportunity. So with this magnitude of a pick, like how how deep do you go? How far back do you go just to get intel and you know the, the total package on these players? He's like, oh, I was I was calling guys little league coaches. You know, I was calling guys as you know the 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 high school that he went to and you know his homeroom teacher and we were you know calling the uh you know the cafeteria ladies to see how he interacted you know amongst his peers and you know what they were kind of really like when their guard was down so like that's how deep this goes that's how important this is and that's how much you know vetting um goes into bringing in potentially a franchise quarterback with the top five pick he's matt taylor voice of the colts joining us here on the fan it's a very geeky question, Matt. Now, I was just asking the question to myself. I don't know how I would answer it yet. I'm curious what you would say. The percentage chance, what do you think it is that the Colts stay at number four? What do you think the percentage chance is that the Colts trade up to number one overall? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, none. I mean, I, it, it's... I mean, I know we're, it's, it's draft season and it's March 2nd or whatever it is. We still have you know, six, seven weeks before we get to the draft. I mean, that that's an eternity, right? We still have all the pro days and, um, you know, guys are going to work out later this week and guys are going to check in with the height and the measurables and, and all of that. So, I mean, all of that is, is such a big uh, – they're, they're, they're puzzle pieces to this big picture. And so I think it's just impossible to, to answer that question. Um, and really the only person that knows the answer to that is, is Chris Ballard, who's pulling the trigger – on a potential trade like that. But, I, I, again, I think it's eye in the beholder of all of these quarterbacks. I mean, 
there's I mean, we've talked to a million different uh, draft analysts and, and, you know, former scouts and things like that media types here at the combine, you know, shameless plug plug for the uh, Colts audio network. We're going to have all of that coming out in the next couple of, of days here. Um, but it, it truly is like you, you talk to one guy about Will Richardson or excuse me, Anthony Richardson, and they say, yeah, the sample size just isn't there for me. Wouldn't touch him. You know, the accuracy uh, just isn't where it needs to be. You know, he had a lot of flash plays, but then there's times you watch him on film and like, it's just hard to watch, you know, it's just brutal. But then there's other people who are like, Anthony Richardson, he's my quarterback. If I'm in the top mm-hmm. five, I got to get this guy. He's a lottery pick. You know, there's nobody coming out in the draft like him. There's nobody in the draft in the in the draft next year like him. Like, I'm sold. Let's do it. So, I mean, it's just impossible really to to gauge this. I mean, the, the draft is so subjective, and it really depends on who you are and what you're prioritizing. So, um, that's why we watch. That's why we will continue to speculate and that's why I think for a lot of people, this time of year is, is more interesting. You know, we, we get to free agency, we get to around draft time. Like more people are interested in the business of football and the roster construction of football than they are, you know, uh, more so involved in the, in the wins and losses like in October and November, because it's, it's fascinating. Everybody thinks they can do it. Everybody thinks that, you know, if you, if you have a YouTube account, you can see highlights and then you can form your own opinions on players. So we all kind of put our GM hats on this time of year, and we think we got it all figured out. And obviously, you know, we don't, and that's why these guys are are in it for as long as they are. You mentioned roster construction, and that leads me really right to the next point: um, the deadline or the opportunity to uh, cut some salaries is coming up. Um, Matt Ryan is guaranteed 15 million on March 17th. We would anticipate that that he's going to be released because they're going to so they're going to save that money. Uh, other quarterbacks, Nick Foles, at a relatively cheap price, but hasn't really shown anything. Do they keep him around? What do they do with Ellinger? What? Let's presume that they're going to take one of those quarterbacks with the fourth pick or above. So they're going to have a young quarterback. What does the rest of the quarterback room look like for the Colts next season? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, it would be we all read between the lines and we're using context for anything to – project what's going to happen in a bigger picture later on. So, I mean, yeah, in a couple of weeks, if the Colts do make a quarterback move, let's say they do release Matt Ryan or Nick Foles or both guys, you know, closer to the time of free agency, the context around that would be, okay, well, they're, they're projecting or leaning towards drafting a quarterback. You would understand that. But, um, you know, Nick Foles at the end of the season, he was on record saying, you know, I signed a two-year deal last year being the first of that contract. To, to come in and reunite and sort of and play and, and, and be under the guidance again of Frank Reich. Well, obviously, you know, that's no longer the case. So it's fair to wonder about his future. Same thing with Matt Ryan, you know, like he's going to be 38 years old. And like you said, a huge, uh, you know, cap number. Um, if the Colts do release them, they would save some money in the salary cap space, which is big because right now they're not as nearly as flush with, with cap space uh, money than they ha- as they have been in the past. Um, so that'll factor in, you know, with their ability to be able to go out and be aggressive and sign, uh, you know, e- either in-house free agents, which they have 17 in-house, either restricted or unrestricted free agents or guys that are going to hit the open market here in a couple of weeks. So that'll all factor into it as well. But I think it's safe to say that, again, on March 2nd, that Sam Ellinger will be a part of that quarterback room. And then, again, we'll we'll have to wait and see, you know, what the rest of that uh, room looks like. Might it be another 
veteran quarterback that's not on the roster right now that they plug in in free agency. And, you know, I think the marquee piece of that is whether or not it's, it's a, uh, a rookie quarterback that they draft high in the, uh, in the first round. I was thinking about this today too, Matt, where obviously the conversation is about who the Colts are going to get at quarterback, right? But if you flip that around and think about who the Texans get, if you could pick of the top prospects who the Texans got, knowing that the Colts would have to face that guy for the next handful of years, do you have a guy in mind? Do you have a choice that you would choose to say, all right, the Texans get this guy instead of just looking at who the Colts are going to get? Well, I think that's that's what makes it so fascinating. I mean, it's one thing to be potentially haunted. Like if, if you're a general manager and you're in the, the position that the Colts are in, it's one thing to be potentially haunted by like a draft miss or, um, you know, your evaluation's wrong, and then, you know, that, that might set you back for years to come, right? So that, that's one layer of it. The second layer of it is, is, is taking the risk of someone else moving up in front of you and taking the guy that you really like, and also, too, that guy going to a division rival, having to play the guy that you really liked, that you really wanted, and having him go to the Houston Texans in this case and playing him for the next decade twice a year and him directly kind of standing in your way of winning you know, AFC South championships and, and going to the playoffs and, and those types of things. So uh, there's, there's a lot of different layers to it. But, yeah, to me, I mean, again, I, I think it, it just it depends on who you talk to. Again, I've talked to a million guys down here, and they say, you know, Bryce Young, his size doesn't matter. He played at Alabama. He started in the SEC. He's beaten LSU. You know, he's 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 making off-platform, off-schedule throws. And, uh, you know, even the times that he did get hurt, it wasn't because he was getting thrown around and landing awkwardly because of his size and his, his stature. So I'm good with it. And there's people that say the exact opposite. I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole because he's, he's not durable and all this thing. So, I mean, honestly, like, I, I think – this is so fascinating because there there are no slam dunks. There are no Andrew Lux here. And it just kind of boils down to what you're comfortable with and, and what you kind of want, you know, between the ears of your quarterback. And I think that's what Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard are really here to, to prioritize and figure out who's the guy that has the best mental acumen that can process as fast as possible. Everything else we'll figure out, we'll grow, we'll develop in terms of the physical traits. Visiting with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. And Matt, you mentioned earlier about uh, potential savings uh, in, off the Matt Ryan contract and, and signing free agents and taking care of some of your own, et cetera, the number of Colts uh, unrestricted free agents. Who's the guy on that list that, in your opinion, the Colts will 100% bring back? Yeah, I'm just speaking for myself. If, yeah, if, yeah. if I'm going to make a list of the, the top unrestricted free agents for me, I think it would be kind of a competition between Unique Ngakwe and Paris Campbell. But with the prospects of having a young quarterback, I, I would probably, if, it, if there was a debate there and it hypothetically came down to one or the other, I would personally prioritize Paris Campbell the most because I want to – stack the deck for my young quarterback if the Colts decide to go that route as, as best as possible. Give him as many weapons as as I can to help him settle in and grow and kind of take the pressure off of him, knowing he's going to have a lot to deal with from a marketing standpoint, off the field, and then obviously everything that goes with, with playing quarterback on the field. 
I thought Paris Campbell last year kind of proved that the, the stigma should be off of him in terms of being able to stay healthy. He played 17 games last year, which was more games combined than he played the first three years of his NFL season with all the different injuries. He played only 15 games his first three years. Um, you know, had over 600 receiving yards last year. I believe he had three touchdowns. I thought he would have had an even better year, to be honest with you, had the Colts had the Colts had you know more quarterback stability around him. So I, I think the, the book is still kind of out on Paris Campbell in terms of his potential and and what he can be. I think we're just now kind of scratching the surface on him and and what we know about him and all that he can be. So I would actually really kind of prioritize him and take a flyer on him if it makes sense financially and bring him back because I think. There's a lot more he can offer as a player if you've got, you know, again, stability pieces around him on offense and, two to just help potentially a young rookie quarterback settle in and grow and have another reliable weapon to throw the football to. Yeah, I agree as, as well. And, and as you said, uh, you know, if it makes sense financially, and that's always the key at, the, at this point, but even more impressive than his numbers, I thought the biggest question he answered last year was just the fact that he stayed healthy. Right. So, right. Uh, Matt, good stuff. Great insight. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us, and uh, we'll uh, do it again soon. You got it, guys. My pleasure. Appreciate you. Yeah, that's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. And it was interesting when we had uh, Kristen Airy on, you know, the voice of the Pacers from the television perspective, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts from the radio perspective. And when you really do dig in with those guys, how close they do become, not just to the organization, but to the players in which they're covering. And I think those guys can, and and the beat reporter as well, but those are the guys that uh, really, I think, provide the greatest insight into what's happening with a franchise. No doubt. And it still is funny how there's still so much that's unknown. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're as plugged in as it gets. And that's the fun time about this year, right? Is nobody's wrong. Right. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but there is, you you can tell, like there's the inner, inner circle. Think about the head coaching yeah. search and how these insiders are like, guys, nobody knows anything. Yeah. They're just as close to the vest as it gets. And that shows the strength of a good organization when stuff doesn't leak out, when there isn't anybody that's in that inner circle that's in that room where this key decision is made, and it doesn't make it out. That's that's a big deal. There are a lot of organizations where that's not the case. Well, it's so important this time of year because the last thing you want to do is tip your hand. And if, you know, if, for instance, you tipped your hand to, yeah, we're going to stay at number four, well, that opens the door for those teams trying to jump over you to get one, two, or three. And um, you just can't tip your hand and give, because tipping your hand gives an advantage to your opponent, just like them understanding what plays you're going to run on Sunday. Yeah, it's just, it's a game of poker, man. We're playing Texas Hold'em. These teams are representing pocket aces. That doesn't mean they have pocket aces, you know, but that's the way it goes. By the way, I saw this where Padre starting pitcher, Vince, Joe Musgrove, he fact, he fractured his uh, big left toe on Monday, dropped a kettleball on it oh. during the work, a kettleball right on the big toe. So I want to know your most random or your most painful injury, what would you have on your list there? Uh, well, in 2016, I was riding on a golf cart, and um, as many folks will do while they're riding on the golf cart, they kind of got their foot sticking out. Yeah. And um, it's because I, I was being taken, I was at the racetrack being taken to my car, had a big box uh, between my legs, so therefore my foot was sticking out because 
to make room for this box. And I saw that we were coming up to a narrow area. In fact, I had told the two people sitting in the back seat, hey, get your arms and legs in. We're yeah. getting ready to get narrow because on one side were cars lined up to exit and on the other side was a fence. And um, I didn't get my foot in in time. Yeah. And the driver sideswiped the fence. Oh, no. And uh, my foot was pointed the other direction. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, I assure you that uh, it is not, uh, it, it was as bad as it sounds. So um, I wouldn't like to drop a kettleball on my big toe, oh, but I've, I've, I've topped that one, I that's, think. So. And that's a rough one yeah. because, listen, if you're on the football field and you experience pain, I mean, it's just, it's par for the course. Yeah. It, it's kind of like it's fitting. But in that situation, it's like you feel weird being like, oh, my gosh, right? Because yeah. it's not normal oh, that it happens. Oh, it was brutal. Uh, yeah, I reached yeah. down and turned it back. Um, <laughs> and But I, I, I can tell you, it. I don't know, it seemed like forever, but it was maybe you know 10 or 15 minutes before I was finally – uh, inside the medical center and they had hooked me up with medicine to relieve the pain and discomfort but it was uh i'll never forget it i, I can assure you I that imagine that yeah i don't have a story that tops that yeah. i've got stupid injuries i've <laughs> well I've, I've torn my acl i had two knee surgeries two shoulder surgeries and one thumb surgery so i've got surgeries covered okay the acl and the shoulder i get what yeah. how do you what'd you do to your thumb that's i bet that's the better story the, the, of them all this is the dumbest story of them all <laughs> pickup game of football at ball state and i go to tackle a guy and i just the way i wrapped him up i just jammed my my right thumb into the guy I was tackling, and somehow I, I broke my thumb that way. Mm. And what's funny is a lot of times you hear about these broken bones with quarterbacks in the NFL, and it really does depend on what you've done exactly because picture like my bone, you know, straight up and down, it's like a little island. It really just broke a piece of it off. So they had to put a plate and like six little screws in it. But before I had surgery on it, I could throw a football fine. It was no big deal. It really does depend on how you actually broke your finger, your thumb, like what's exactly going on there. Because, yeah, there are some injuries that will keep you out. There are others where it's not a big deal, man. You can still feel the ball, can still, you know, sling it, no so problem. You, so you break the thumb tackling, pick up game at yeah. Ball State. Do you leave the field right away at that point? Did you know you'd done so, Or did you, you know, finish out man, a little more play? I really don't remember. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. I hope I stuck around, but I don't know. I'm not sure what I did. <laughs> I might have just said, that's a wrap, guys. All right, catch you later. I don't know. I'm not sure what I did. Strap but, it up. Come yeah, on. My dumbest injury, so we're sitting in these sort of like high-rise seats. Think about like if you're at a bar and you have the – so I was I was just doing a radio show, and the seat was a little higher. I just kind of like flexed my leg, you know, like my legs are dangling, and I just flexed it a little bit. I jacked up my calf for like two weeks. I had a limp for a couple of weeks. It's the saddest thing, Vince. Terrible, man. Well, stay on your seat. Yeah, you get you yeah. a seatbelt. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, we got some rule changes. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but a little sneak peek. What do you think about this with college football? We'll get to the NFL to close out the show, but what do you think about college football? So there is a panel. They are eyeing games being shorter for player safety. So we're thinking about... Maybe doing a few things here to reduce the number of plays. I'm not against, Vince, them keeping the clock running. If it's a first down, you know how they stop mm -hmm. the clock for a little bit and spot the ball and all that. They're also talking about 
keeping the clock running after incomplete passes. What do you think about that in college football? Mm, I, I like the I like the incom- the stopping the clock I at the incomplete too. pass. Now I would say that um, keeping the clock running after first down, I'd be okay with that. I'm totally okay yeah. with that. But the incomplete pass, stopping the clock, I, I'd stick with that. I don't like how it greatly changes the strategy if you do that. Where think about it at the end of a game, they're talking about maybe stopping it in the final two minutes if it's an incomplete pass. You realize how many situations will be changed? Let's talk about like the final four minutes. Yeah. Okay, let's say you've got the ball, you're leading by a touchdown, and it's third and eight. Depending on that situation, you might want to run the ball and keep the clock moving or force them to take their final timeout, what have you. If the clock just keeps running, you're throwing it every time. Why am I not throwing it trying to pick up a first down knowing the clock's going to wind anyway? You know, it changes everything. I don't like rules changes that aren't in place the entire game. Like, I don't like yeah. a rule change that they say, okay, in the final two minutes, it's going to be this way. Mm-hmm. When the first 58, you know, it was this way. Yeah, and I get that. They do that sometimes, though. Think of the NFL. So if you just go out of bounds, yeah, they wind the clock, yeah. except for the final two minutes in the first half and the final five minutes of the second half it's kind of weird but they do those little tricky things to try to keep it moving yeah keep the game moving i I did see one of the things and maybe it was uh, on your nfl rules where you know nowadays uh, you see it often when you do a quarterback sneak yeah and the players behind you push the quarterback into the end zone i'm anti they're talking about uh, not allowing that potentially what would you say but i hate the the it's not rugby guys yeah this is football i want to get that out of here and I also think this, I think there's a chance that it doesn't stick around because it's a player safety thing. When you think about a, a guy like Jalen Hurts, you've got your teammates pushing you while the defensive line is trying to push the other way. You're kind of like the middle part of an Oreo cookie. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Think of Patrick Mahomes. He hurt his knee on a quarterback sneak. Yeah. And so if you're talking about a player safety type thing, I mean, maybe they change it. When it comes to that, that might be their thinking. I wouldn't be surprised. It always surprised. gets me, though, when it's like fourth and inches, you know, and I think if your offensive line and your quarterback can't just fall forward for literally inches, yeah, how can you not get it on fourth and inches? And it always drives me crazy when they then turn around and hand it to a running back that's like four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage <laughs> and then want him to get the you, you, wait a minute now instead of fourth and inches it's fourth and five yeah you know so I like the quarterback sneak in some regards and I don't know how I'd feel about not letting them push the quarterback forward but uh, I'm not with it I'm yeah, not with it it's just it's too rugby yeah. too rugby it not is, enough it football. is rugby style it's getting goofy it's getting uh to be too much of a clown show I think that uh it's funny when you're talking about it the quarterback can't get it and just pitches it like mayday maybe yeah. you have better luck <laughs> one of the greatest plays I saw in college was Caleb Williams the quarterback at USC he yeah. was still at Oklahoma I think they're playing Kansas And his running back got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. He was not going to pick this up. And he strip-sacked his own running back. He stole the ball and ran for the first down. It was an amazing play. They were screwed if he didn't do that. All right, we got Rob Blackman, voice of Purdue basketball, right around the corner. Purdue at Wisconsin tonight. We'll talk some hoops. Keep it locked right here. I'm Brian No. He's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jimmy, you got any Slayer for us today on tap? It was a very nice job you did yesterday. I don't know if that was a one-and-done type thing. You're planning on running it back before we get out of here. I lost part of my soul. I'm still trying to. I had to go to church. I had to reevaluate some faith. It was it was it was a tough tough day for me. Was that like uh, the conversation at dinner? Like Jimmy, is everything okay? <laughs> I I caught you, the bounce back music. Slayer, I had this far off look in my eyes at yeah. dinner. It was just tough. I get it, man. Hey, we got shattering plates. <laughs> We've got Rob Blackman, voice of Purdue basketball, with us here on the fan. Brian Noah and Vince Welch with you here. Rob, welcome in, man. Good afternoon to you. Um, it's funny, man. So the uh, the outside shooting, not great last game against IU. Are you expecting a, a much better effort tonight against Wisconsin? Well, Brian, let's say my fingers are crossed, but the uh... – the uh, recent results would not lead me to think that uh, anything good's coming soon. I was looking up some some numbers getting ready for this one today, and Purdue's last five games, uh, of which they've lost three, uh, Purdue shooting 28% from three as a team. So that is not a great number, obviously. Um, now, look, it's not like Purdue hasn't hasn't had their – uh, there are moments this year where they have shot the three well, but yeah, 28% from three. The only thing that makes me feel a little bit better about this is going through the Wisconsin stuff. I did not realize this, but last year Wisconsin was the, was the worst three-point shooting team in the Big Ten, uh, yet they were the Big Ten champions. So apparently, <laughs> apparently you can still win championships uh, without shooting the three well. Uh, which Purdue's obviously already wrapped up the Big Ten title this season. But the fact of the matter is uh, Purdue's going to have to start shooting the ball better from three or it's just going to get tougher and tougher, mainly on Zach Eady. I mean, let's be very honest, the guy that suffers the most when Purdue's not making outside shots is Zach Eady because it gets a whole lot easier to double-team Zach when you know that, that Purdue's not making perimeter shots. What would be your preference, Rob? Would you rather right now – ramping up toward the NCAA tournament, would you rather, like the IU game, great example, Purdue's not hitting their outside shots. Would you like to see them keep bombing away from three knowing that you need to work through this and be able to rely on the three to some degree in the tournament? Or would you just rather say, hey man, it's not working. Let's shoot more twos. What would be your preference for this stage of the season? I would just simply prefer to make sure that the offense continues to run through Zach Eady, which I think it will. Now, obviously, if Purdue's making perimeter shots, as I just mentioned, it makes his life bloody. But as long as Zach Eady's getting a touch every time down the floor, that is the one thing that Purdue has in its favor and has had all season uh, is a seven foot four, 295-pound man who's averaging 22 points and 12 rebounds a game and simply dominating pretty much every game he plays in. Um, so it is nice to know when you are struggling to shoot the ball that you can always throw it inside to Zach. Um, but look, perimeter shooting, as we've seen in the in the history of the NCAA tournament, um, perimeter shooting is going to take you a long way if you're if your team that can make some shots. I think about Wisconsin last year. I watched it right in front of my own two eyes because we're in the same uh, uh, same region in Milwaukee. Uh, Wisconsin loses their their round of the 32 game against Iowa State because Wisconsin couldn't throw a ball in the ocean. I mean, literally, could not throw the ball. In, maybe I should say Lake Michigan since we were up in Milwaukee. I think they. I think at one point late in the game they were like one of fifteen from three or something crazy, and they ultimately lost that game. So, even though I firmly believe Wisconsin was a better team, 
Um, so, yeah, need to find a way to make some shots. Twos to threes, I don't know that really matters. Um, but, again, the main the main focus here being that if you can just take some pressure off of Zach Eady and put him in a position where he's not constantly being double or triple teamed, uh, Purdue has a chance to do some really special things. If not, it's going to be very difficult. Rob, it's not as if you're asking uh, them to do something they have not done all season. I mean, they, Purdue shot the three-pointer well early in the season. Is there any uh, inclination from Matt Painter or the staff as to why they've all of a sudden seemed to uh, have gone cold from the perimeter? Fatigue? Is it uh, mechanics? I mean, any idea at all as to what what may be the issue? I don't think really anyone can put their finger on it, which is what makes Vince, it makes it so frustrating for everyone involved because you're right. Purdue has had their moments where they really shot the ball well. And I would even go back to last season. Um, you know, just some of the numbers from last year. Caleb first last year was a 40% three-point shooter. And this year he's at 31%. Ethan Morton last year was a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, this year he's at 28%. Um, so it's not like guys all of a sudden forget how to shoot. I mean, it's it's obviously no attitude, or they wouldn't have had put up those kind of numbers like they did last season. Um, Fletcher Lawyer is a very good three point shooter. Uh, he proved that in high school and proved it early in the year. But he's you no, know, he's at thirty four percent right now. So um, that's probably the most frustrating part. It's not like you have a bunch of guys who you knew coming into this weren't good three point shooters, and you're just kind of hoping and wishing that maybe all of a sudden they magically become good three point shooters. They have been good three-point shooters. They've proven it uh, throughout their careers just for whatever reason here in this. The, the month of February was just a bad month for Purdue all the way around. Um, shooting being probably the biggest the biggest bugaboo for this team. Uh, Purdue was 3-4 and four in the month of February um, and shot the ball poorly. Yet with all that said, you're still ranked fifth in the country and you're still the Big Ten champs. <laughs> so it, it's not like everything's gone south on you here. Uh, but I do think Purdue is ready to turn the calendar to the month of March and then be done with the month of February because it was not a very kind kind month to Purdue basketball. Now, one of the other things I thought during the struggle of February was uh, the lack of handle on the ball. The turnover numbers were up. Yeah. They seem like maybe over the last couple of games they've cleaned that up some. It, was that a specific adjustment uh, that uh, the staff made or have they just gotten better at it? Well, not necessarily maybe Vince adjustment, but certainly emphasis uh, from a coaching staff standpoint, because you are right. Uh, there was a three-game stretch in there, uh, and it started with, uh, I believe it started with that game at Indiana. I'm almost certain it started with that game in Bloomington, where Purdue went uh, something like 16, 17, and 16 turnovers in three straight games, uh, which you just, I mean, it, it just makes it too hard to win if you're going to do that. But since, uh, since there's been a little bit more emphasis placed on that, you know, the last three games, Purdue's averaging, I think, nine turnovers a game over the last three games. Um, so they have been able to, yes, improve in that in that category. And it, look, against you know, tonight against a team like Wisconsin, they're the number one team in the country in taking care of the ball. They only turn it over eight times a game. So you do not want to get into a game with Wisconsin where you're turning it over 16 times and they're turning it over seven or eight because you're going to be in big trouble. So, But that's really what it's come down to, Vince, just more of an emphasis on taking care of the ball. In the last three games, at least, Purdue's done a much better job of that. We know Zach Eady is the man. Who's the next most important person in your mind for Purdue if the Boilermakers are to make a deep run in the tournament? Braden Smith is probably the easy answer and also, I think, the correct answer. Uh, I mean, I know a true freshman point guard – that's a lot of pressure to put onto a guy, but 
in in modern college basketball. So what we see we see freshman point guards doing it all the time, um, and I, so I think he's the guy. I mean, it's I think traditionally as we look at teams that have had success in the NCAA tournament, they've obviously always had great guard play, and the teams that have really taken it to another level and made a deep run have not only had great play from the backcourt, but then they've had a really imposing figure in the front court. Well, Purdue's taking care of the front court part. I don't think anyone's going to argue that Zach Eady has not held up his end of the deal. Um, but a Braden Smith, and he's played well. I'm certainly not saying he hasn't. I mean, he's and he's the team's third leading scorer. He leads the team in assists. He leads the team in steals. I mean, he's done a lot of good things. Shoots 40% from three, plays basically 35 minutes a game. I mean, that, he's he's done everything that's been asked of him. But if he is a guy that can perform at a, at a consistent level, a high level, once we kind of get into this month of March, uh, to me, he would be the next most important piece for Purdue as far as a, a guy not named Zach Eady. He's Rob Blackman, voice of Purdue basketball, joining us here on The Fan. Rob, you mentioned the rough patch that Purdue has experienced here as of late. Has that rough patch changed what you think the team's ceiling is come tournament time or not? No, and I only say that, Brian, because this is the Big Ten, and you kind of expect this rough patch. I mean, look, heck, look at everyone else in our league has lost at least eight games, if not more. Uh, the only exception to that is Michigan, and I'm not so sure after they play tonight at Illinois, they might not be at eight wins. It's just so difficult to win in this league, especially in the month of February, number one, because the coaching is so good and the scouting is so good. Uh, I mean, everyone, and with a guy like Matt Painter, who's been at 18 years, I mean, everyone knows what everyone else is doing. There are no secrets now in the Big Ten. As a great example of that, uh, playing Saturday against Indiana, I would notice when, when Purdue would hold up their offensive play, they'd do it on a dry erase board and they hold it up. I would see the Indiana guys take a quick look over at that board, and then they would turn around and communicate defensively exactly what was coming. Well, that, that's that's the Big Ten. Everyone knows exactly what everyone is doing. There are no surprises. And from a from a personnel standpoint, you know, freshmen like Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, and and you pick your favorite player, your favorite freshman, Jalen Hood, Shafino, whomever it might be. Um, the book is out on them now too on how to guard them. Like there are no more secrets now. The scouting report is out on how you guard those guys. Um, so now you're just at the point in the season where it's just a grind because you're not going to be outsmarting anyone. Uh, that's for certain. You're not going to out-scheme anyone. You're just going to have to be better than they are on that particular night. So the fact that Purdue struggled in Big Ten play, that does not concern me. I do feel like, and I don't. I wouldn't just say this for Purdue. I, I would say this for, for Indiana and, 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 and Maryland and Iowa, Michigan State. Once we all get out of Big Ten play and actually play some teams that aren't from the Big Ten, I do think these teams are going to have some success, uh, these Big Ten teams, again, just because um, – the other team's not going to have the detailed scouting report on you that uh, that the Big Ten teams do. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Zach Eady has another year of eligibility, right? Correct. He is a junior. What, um, what so, are the chances he comes back next year? Oh, boy, there you go with a $64 million question that we all have been asking. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've certainly never spoken to him about it, so I couldn't give you a uh, first-person account on what he's thinking. A matter of fact, I don't, to be honest, I haven't even heard him speak on this topic, so I don't know that he's even approached it with anyone. Um, but if you're asking me what I what do, I think he would, could he come back? I certainly do. Um, you know, I, I, my guess would be he'll test the NBA waters this offseason. He'll go through the workout process. He'll talk to the 
to the folks in the NBA, and he'll get their their thoughts and their their advice, and and then make a decision from there. It it occurs to me, and I'm certainly no NBA expert, and I wouldn't I wouldn't even profess to be close to one. But it occurs to me that most of these guys in the situation Zach's going to be in, if they know they're going to be a first-round pick and it's going to be guaranteed money, then they're probably making that jump. But if they're a second-rounder or they're on the fringe of being undrafted, most of these guys seem to be leaning towards coming back, and especially now in the, in the world of NIL, uh, when certainly Zach's going to be in a position to, to make some money uh, from his image and likeness from a Purdue standpoint. If you're not a first-round guaranteed guy, uh, and I'm not just speaking for Zach, I'm speaking for anyone in his position. I'm not sure why he wouldn't come back to college and, and make a little bit of money and have a chance to try to get a little bit better, uh, make yourself a little bit better prospect for the NBA. So I can't speak specifically for Zach, but again, my gut would tell me, Vince, that unless he's a guaranteed num- uh, first-round pick, uh, I would think it's highly likely that he would come back and, and play a senior season. Mm, man, wouldn't that be something? Uh, by the way, what kind of NL money are you bringing in, Rob? Hey man, I'm lucky, I'm lucky to get a free T-shirt from the equipment manager. They don't ever shoot those T-shirts at the broadcasters, right? It's always like in the 50th row. You get gypped in that, there, Rob. You wouldn't believe the number of times I've asked for the. I'd be like, hey, I know we're giving out. You know, it's T-shirt night for all the fans. Think you guys think you get me one of those T-shirts? <laughs> oh, sure, Rob. And then I never see it. <laughs> It's the way yeah. it goes, man. It's a tough life. We get it. Rob, you're the man. Appreciate the time today, man. We'll be listening to you tonight. Okay, Brian, Vince, thanks for having me, man. All right, buddy. Thank you. There he is, Rob Blackman, voice of Purdue basketball. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. Man. Wow, that's crazy. Think about that. The 7'4 guy. Yeah. Because you know, uh, if his stock isn't high enough, might be back. That's y- wild. You know, a lot of the NBA people that you talk to will tell you that they think Edie and Trace Jackson Davis are both second-round guys. Yeah. It's and- all about stretch spacing the floor yeah. shooting it and the ha. nba game just yeah. doesn't fit their style of play right even though they're phenomenal it kind of goes back to what we talked about with the nfl guy you know being a great college player doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be a great right. nfl player and the same can be said uh, certainly in the nba and the style of game right. is so different you think about guys like Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns and bigs that can shoot not just from 15 but from distance and if you don't if you haven't showcased that in your game and Trace Jackson Davis hasn't done that and Zach Eady certainly hasn't done that yeah well the the years of the guy uh posting on the block and just feeding him in the NBA not what it is which which brings us to on this day in 1962 Wilt Chamberlain 100 100. points yeah what do you think the, about the guys recreating that? LeBron did it when he surpassed Kareem. Damian Lillard just did that, scoring 71 points. What do you think about the the famous picture of Wilt with the 100? What do you think about some of today's stars recreating that? Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. I think it's kind of. I fun. mean, unless you're unless you're going to hold a sign up that says 100 <laughs> or 101, then keep it in your pocket. Yeah. Need yeah. 29 more. Yeah. Is that, that that's for 71? Although I will tell you, man, 70 points. That's a lot of. That's a lot. That's a lot of bucket. Dame scored forty-one in the first half. That's crazy. That is crazy. All right, we got to close with this. Coming up next, there's a five-year-old boy, Vince, that is destined for greatness. An awesome story. I want to hear it. Put a smile on your face before we get out of here. I'm Brian. No, he's Vince Welch. It's ninety-three-five and one zero-seven-five. The fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch here on The Fan. I swear, Jimmy is never going to look at me in the eyes again if we don't get to his bets. Well, you skipped him two days in a row. I'm surprised he's letting your microphone come on. I remember today, though. I remember today. (laughs) We're going to get to that in a minute. How about this? It's a five-year-old boy destined for greatness, Vince. So, Jason Tatum, superstar with the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. His son is Deuce. Five-year-old Deuce is courtside. Last night, Celtics are hosting the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell... Really strong player for the Cavs. He sees five-year-old Deuce. He goes over to give him some dap. What does Deuce do? Cold shoulder, Left baby. Left him hanging? Yeah, listen to how this sounded on ESPN. Oh, here we go. My bad, Jimmy. I could blame you, but it was my fault. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. Deuce said, Donovan, you're on the opposing team tonight, man. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> wrong jersey, big time. I like that. So Donovan Mitchell goes over to him, like, holds out the fist, like, hey, you know, dap me up. And he's like, nope, you're the enemy tonight. Oh, I love it. Isn't that great? I love it. I'm telling you, Deuce Tatum, big things. Watch out for – I don't know if he's going to be in the NBA or what, but he's going to do something substantial in his life. And already, because of television, Sports Center, our shows, you know, I mean, it's – he's a star. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine he's he's going to kindergarten today and they're like, oh, man. (laughs) I know. I know, right? Yeah. Saw you leave Donovan Mitchell hanging. Yeah. How old do you have to be for your kid to have a Twitter account? You know what I mean? Oh, man. I know it's a subjective yeah. type thing, but I wonder what the the ballpark area would be. I mean, animals have Twitter accounts now, <laughs> so you know, I don't think there's an age limit. Hey, our guy Jimmy's got a Twitter account. What That's is it, Jimmy? He posts his pics when we don't get to him. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. Going to delay the four on the Purdue Boilermakers. That's right. They bounce back and cover at Wisconsin tonight. Also going to take the Dallas Mavericks turn the money line against the Philadelphia 76ers. One and two yesterday, three and five of the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook. That's efficiency, gentlemen. That's what that was. Efficiency. It's also lacking information. What is the money line? Minus 110 on uh, the betting odds on Purdue at minus four. And Uh the Mavericks are minus 155 last I saw. Hmm. You're going money line minus 155? I am am going 155. A little bit of juice there, Jimmy. I know. know. I'm I'm cutting it. There's been too much talk about Kyrie and Luka not working together. Uh They got a tough... Opposition side coming in in Philly. Yeah. They delivered tonight on the money line. Didn't like Ooh. the spread. Yeah, Don't dis- believe them enough to lay, lay the yeah. points. Ooh. Disappointing the loss line. against the Pacers, too. So they're they're bouncing back tonight. I'm with you, Jimmy. What do you think Good about money. that, Vince? Luka and Kyrie, when they're together, one in four for mm. Dallas. Yeah. One and four. I'm not a Kyrie fan. No. Yeah, I'll take Luka all day long, but you can keep Kyrie. How about your wallet? Is your wallet a Kyrie fan? <laughs> I'd have a hard time betting on Kyrie when I don't like Kyrie. You know, when I don't, you know, I just, I, my money's too close to me. What do you think? Adjusted line, Jimmy? Dallas over 24 and a half first quarter points? What do you think? You going to get on that? That's a well that I'm not ready to dive no? into, but I respect your plays all the Soon same. Soon enough. Soon enough. We'll get there. Hey, Brian Noah and Vince Welch with you here today. Thanks for joining us. Keep it locked. JMV at the top of the hour. We'll see you soon.